This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to some sort of the Cooler Jets podcast where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, when we last spoke to everybody, I think spirits were high. On this podcast, we were talking about the Jets winning three straight. They're finally a good football team. They went into Lambeau and blew the Packers out. And we're looking forward to this podcast because now we've seen the All-22. We can preview the Broncos game. Um, today, we're recording this Thursday night. There's been uh, some 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 news, I guess, that has kind of changed maybe the tone of uh, of Jets land. And and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into it. But we had already scheduled this, and I think it's actually perfect. Um, that we had already had this set up, but Robbie Sabo, co-owner of Jets X Factor, is on the podcast because you know we had had some disagreements about Elijah Moore before all this uh, trade request nonsense came out today. About you know I was Michael and I were saying that we think Elijah Moore should be in the slot. Robbie had a different opinion. Then also on Sunday, I'd criticized the floor in the first half, and Robbie was defending him. And so I kind of wanted to hear him explain that and and uh, you know just kind of talk out some some Jet stuff and then look ahead to to next week. Um, but gentlemen, I don't think we can really start this podcast without talking about the news that I'm sure everybody will be, uh, thinking about on Friday, which is Elijah Moore's trade request. Um, I'm getting the sense from my preliminary discussions with Michael and maybe a little bit with Robbie that, uh, it might be two V one on this podcast. We might have some differing opinions on, on what the jets will end up doing or what they should do, or, uh, the situation as a whole, but Robbie, thank you for coming on the podcast. First, how are you doing, man? Fellas, it's uh, it's all good in the neighborhood on Thursday night. How are you guys doing? You know, I, I think I think Michael, uh, I'll speak for him, uh, is doesn't seem to be doing as well after this after this trade I'm, request. I'm but... doing good. I'm not that bothered. I'm <laughs> oh, still, oh, that's my not spirits what those DMs said. No, not... I, I think you're misinterpreting my DMs. I'm misinterpreting the DMs. Are, my spirits are still high. I think we just have different opinions on yeah. how the Jets move forward. Shall I read them? I won't. We shall not. Um. All right, let's talk about it. Robbie, I'll, I'll kick it over to you first. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know what has happened. And maybe some other news has come out by the time you're listening to this. But as of Thursday night, uh, we we saw like, right after we recorded our Sunday podcast, Elijah Moore had some cryptic tweets about, you know, if I say what I really want to say, I'll be the bad guy. And then he deleted them and Sala and them kind of cleared it up and said he's not worried about Elijah. And then today, Thursday, Elijah Moore is not at practice. And then it comes out. Oh, he has a family issue, and so he's staying home. And then it comes out, no, it's not a family issue. The Jets uh, sent him home, and the situation kept festering. And then, boom, Ian Rappaport drops that tweet that Elijah Moore has requested a trade. Um, Robbie, I'll give it to you first as the guest on this podcast, and we'll have you for about 30 minutes. We'll talk about this whole situation, and then it'll be just Michael and I talking about maybe some leftover stuff in the Packers game and then the, the Broncos game. But, Robbie, 
What was your first reaction to seeing that? And uh, where do the Jets go from here? Well, I mean, it's basically an unforgivable move unless he goes around to everyone in that locker room and apologizes and does a complete 180. It's one of those moves you can't have. You just can't have on your team. You won three straight. You just did something in Lambeau. Uh, no team did. I think they won 15 or 16 straight at home. Aaron Rodgers, your team finally flipped that switch, turned it around, and then you go publicly and complain about targets. I mean, come on. I know you weren't involved the last two games or since Zach Wilson's come back, but when you look at the overall targets on the season, what is it? What is he, four shy of Corey Davis? It, they couldn't be more balanced right now. What about Berrios? Does Berrios have, is he entitled to complain about his drop off from last year? What about EBT? Should he complain too about being asked to switch positions? Can't have it. You can't have it. And whatever Salas says and Douglas says, they have no interest in trading him. That suggests they're smart. They're going to say the right thing in the media, unlike some other players. So we can never hold any weight in that. Uh, I just think at this point, it's only a matter of time before he's gone. All right, Michael, I, let's let's give it to you to you next. Uh, how do you how did you react to seeing this news? I, I know how you reacted, but let's see. Uh, let's see how you're feeling now about this whole trade request. No, I mean, it's extremely disappointing, just like Robbie said. I mean, I'm very high in Elijah Moore before the season. Uh, I, I thought he's going to be the best player on the team. Uh, I really I really thought he has that potential. He had that potential. I still think he does have that potential to be a very good receiver in this league and even on this team. And, you know, it's been an interesting season. First four games, he puts up, you know, modest production, not quite to where we thought he could be, but not terrible. You know, he's at 40 to 50 yards a game, making big plays and, and spots where they needed it, but wasn't as consistently featured. Then last two games, you know, falls off and pretty much goes completely silent. But, you know, there were games where he was separating and not getting the ball. The last two games, not separating as much. So weird season, but it did feel like, you know, like we're, I think we'll discuss that, you know, maybe a different role could have gotten better production for him, but I never thought he was this kind of guy who would, you know, come out and do something selfish like this, because I always thought he's a team first guy, great culture guy for the team. It really seemed like he fit right into what the Jets are trying to do, but this is, it's as selfish of an act, I think, for a Jets player that we've seen in recent years. I really do think it is on that level he's playing the most he's played the most pass game snaps of any receiver on the team this year so he's on the field I know his snaps have went down a little bit or they did go down the last couple games but overall he's gotten plenty of playing time he's out there it's not like he's in the doghouse um and even though his role isn't you know maybe perfect I would argue he hasn't made the most of the opportunities he has gotten you know he's not separating great on those deep ball chances he's not winning the 50 50 balls he didn't get his feet in bounds on that Miami play off a great throw from Zach Wilson. There are examples of him not going 100% on routes, such as that Steelers interception. Uh, so and he doesn't really have any leverage to be complaining, especially while the team is winning. They're playing on the road in a rainy game against a good team. They're running the ball well. Why are you complaining? I don't it, – it's just very, the very worst selfish part, to me. The worst part is when you publicly complain – you put that seed in the in Denver's head that okay, let's watch out for number eight early in the game that they might manufacture bubble screens, get get them going. You don't want that. It just it drags yourself down. It drags the team down. And now you put the Jets in a situation where they can't 
cater to your needs because if they cater to your needs. It screws up everything. It, it messes up that locker room talent. He's got a world of talent. I think he's tremendous. When I first saw him in camp last year, I thought he was tremendous, but damn, you just can't have this. And I have no doubts. Douglas and Stoller are steaming. The entire organization is just angry right now. I, I have no doubts because you know, you finally turn it around, do the right thing, get on a roll. It's the worst timing. The worst. The I, worst I, timing. You can't, have, you can't have picked a worse time. And that's the just the cherry on top. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't disagree with most of what you guys said. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's incredibly selfish and it's dumb what Elijah did because not only is it a great way to get the fans to hate you, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, I imagine there's guys in that locker room, guys like Dwayne Brown, who's playing with a torn rotator cuff or, or guys like AVT, like you said, who's, uh, who's playing a different position or, or Michael Carter, who's kind of gotten the rub and Reese Hall's getting Corey Davis is in there blocking match. his ass off every game. CJ Uzama's getting paid big bucks and he's yeah. really just out there as, as a designated blocker. Uh, I mean, how many other ones? There's, there's tons of guys that have made sacrifices on this team. And so I bet you there's, yeah, there's a sentiment in the locker room of, of at least today it's I know we shouldn't act like Elijah has crossed a line that he can't apologize and go back from, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that he may have drawn the ire of some guys in that locker room from what he's done. And obviously we're not in that locker room. So it, it's hard for us to say, but uh, the other thing it does is it brings a lot of bad publicity, not only to the team, but to Zach, because the broader NFL media looks at this as, Oh, Elijah Moore doesn't like Zach Wilson. So now it's even more negative energy on your, on your young quarterback. And you know that when you play, he knows that when you play in New York, you can't do this. And so I agree with everything you guys have said. The only thing that I'll say, is that if we know anything about Joe Douglas, he's not getting traded. Unless the Jets get an overpay, he's not getting traded. Joe Douglas is not going to trade a, a prospect the level of Elijah Moore unless he's getting a first-round pick. But he's not going to get a first-round pick because of Elijah Moore's production. So I, I, while I understand the, the anger and the emotion and Jets fans being like, what the fuck, we finally have a good football team, and here comes this, this promising, exciting young player requesting a trade – He's not getting sent out the door. And you know what? The Jets are essentially winning without him. So it's not, to me, it's not as big of a deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not as big of a deal as maybe as it could be. Or like, Mike, when you're saying like, it's the most selfish act I've seen a Jets player, or you 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 did it a little differently on the podcast. It's as selfish, but like, this isn't more selfish than Jamal Adams. It's a selfish act. But for me, I think, I don't think Elijah Moore is necessarily a complete head case. I don't think he's Antonio Brown. I think Elijah Moore is an, a supremely talented receiver and he knows that. And he knows all the work that he's put in the last two years. And he feels that he can help this team contribute. He wants to contribute. He wants to, uh, you know, yes. Is it, is there part of it of he wants to get the stats and so he can get a bigger contract? Yes. But I think he also just knows the type of receiver he is and he just feels like he, he might not get the rub here. And so, yes, it's frustrating. And yes, it's, it's, I'm angry as a Jets fan because it's like we have all these good vibes and here comes all the negative publicity. But for me, it's like, look, the Jets are essentially winning without him. And a good player upset that he's not getting the ball isn't the end of the world to me. Debo Samuel, look at him. He requested a trade and the entire offseason was about him requesting a trade and where is he going to go? And yeah, he's not gonna I mean, he has earned so no, much hold more on, leeway. Hold on, hold on. He's a superstar player. More does not have the same leverage. 
I agree. I, I absolutely agree that Debo Samuel has more levers than Elijah Moore. But in terms of how the Jets are going to handle this and how quickly we as fans could end up forgetting about this, I think it's a comparable situation. Now, look, I agree. I'll give it back to, to you or Robbie if, if you guys have anything to say here. I, I think that, yes, Elijah Moore's production isn't where it needs to be for him to make any of these demands. But, Robbie, as you said, everybody in this building knows the type of receiver that Elijah Moore is. And so that does give him some credence in the sense that, like, the Jets aren't giving him the ball enough. They're misusing him. I understand why he's frustrated. I don't think this is Elijah going crazy. The Jets are are misusing him, and we, we've had a disagreement about this. Elijah messed up in the way that he's handled this, though. He shouldn't have gone to Twitter. He shouldn't have gone public. It's asinine that he requested a trade. But I understand why he's upset, and I also don't think that this relationship is beyond repair. And guess what? I think he'll be a New York Jet by the end of the season. Am I crazy to say that? No, no nothing you said is crazy. It, it's not the end of the world, not by a long shot. Can a win 80 happen? Yes, but he'll have to be contrite. Debo happened during the offseason. I mean, it, it was even <laughs> – when he said it at the time, I knew he was going to stay with San Fran. It was just so obvious. It was a cash grab. It was money. It was contract. It was business. This is different. This is after six measly effing games, six games when you're, where you're four and two, it's beyond absurd. It's beyond selfish and misusing them. I, I don't agree. It, they're not. How many yards did Zach Wilson pass for this last game? Not many. Something he did 10 <laughs> completions. Yeah, 10 completions and you're complaining? Oh, oh it's, it's ridiculous. No, it is ridiculous. I'm not trying to How, be how can you be misused when your targets are, are mirroring the guy next, uh, aside from you? See, they're, they're sideline, Corey Davis. But do you – okay, so let's let's get into a little bit, and obviously you'll, we're going to keep going on, on this discussion, but I think we should weave it in here. We've had a bit of a disagreement between the, – there's the Jets' X factor is split. Michael and I have been talking about how the Jets should be putting Elijah Moore in the slot. Elijah Moore has been used as the X receiver while Garrett Wilson has been used in the slot – Robbie, you've been defending this, but and you brought up an interesting thought right before the podcast, and I'll let you you make p- that potential point. But it's also a potential point that maybe Elijah Moore is frustrated that he's not in the slot because that's what he was drafted for. I mean, he was a slot receiver that could maybe play on the outside, but he's not a natural X receiver. How many 5'10 outside X receivers do you see not named Tyreek Hill who has Olympic sprinter speed? I mean, I, he's he's a slot receiver. Uh, but So uh, maybe explain why why you feel that he – he isn't uh, necessarily a, a slot guy. Well, how come he didn't dominate in the slot last year when there was plenty of opportunity? I mean, did anybody dominate in the Jets offense last year? He certainly oh, had a nice stretch. How come, okay, forget dominate. How come he didn't? How come he wasn't the slot mainstay last year when there was no one in front of him? Because they had Jamison Crowder and Braxton Berrios. So they only had slot receivers. And then Keelan so, Cole was getting <laughs> slot reps too. Berrios is better in a slot than him. What does that tell you? Is he being a slot it, is a point guard? is an unselfish position a lot of the times because you have to read the entire defense. You have to draw defenders away from other routes. When you look at the fourth quarter in Pittsburgh, Garrett Wilson did a ridiculously good job in on a few different plays and getting Corey Davis more open, uh, drawing the mic away in zone coverage. The Cleveland touchdown, the game winner, Flacco, noticed the perfect depth Garrett Wilson ran for that touchdown. Not easy. Him and Conklin had to intertwine together. You're tag teaming with a lot of people in the slot left and right. So to that end, I just don't think Moore is as good as Garrett Wilson in terms of route running, in terms of reading the entire defense. And Garrett, but why? As a well, why, why couldn't Elijah do that? What have we seen from Elijah that says he can't do that? I know he had a few bad reps in the, in the Pittsburgh game, but like, we, what but have we, we seen from Elijah that says that? On, on film, we've seen Garrett Wilson do it a lot better. 
But on film, we saw Garrett Wilson on Sunday goes, you know, run his route short of the sticks on third down multiple times. And Garrett Wilson made plenty of, of mental mistakes on Sunday. I mean, I, I just feel like what about Elijah Moore screams that he can't do it, what Garrett Wilson's doing? I mean, I'm not I'm saying he can't. I just think they think Garrett Wilson's that much better. And from what I've seen on the tape, I, I believe it. I definitely agree that Garrett Wilson's better from what we've seen so far. In terms of, also, sorry. In terms of slot play, I think he's just so much better than Moore. But I, I, but do you not think that Elijah Moore, or that Elijah Moore could do more of a comparable job in the slot than Garrett Wilson could on the outside? Like I feel like Garrett Wilson on the outside is better than Elijah yeah. Moore, and Elijah Moore inside is maybe a maybe a slight decrease from Garrett Wilson, but it's still overall an improvement for the offense. Do you not feel that way? Uh, no, not really, because if you make that swap, then Garrett Wilson goes on an island, and he's out of the offense. You, but but it doesn't get spread around until you start running five to seven step drops. With Garrett, and you feel comfortable with Zach Wilson, where he could scan it and spread it across the field. But so, sorry, but, sorry. Good. Well, I, I, two points on that. One, don't you feel that first of all, moving Garrett Wilson to the outside could end up helping Zach because you look at the type of receiver that he succeeded with at BYU. He likes a guy that he know he can throw it up to and knows he can kind of get those jump balls or he can make plays like that. I feel like having a 5'10 slot receiver in the outside as number one X makes things harder for Zach. There's that one, you know, he had one target in that, in that green Bay game that isn't an official target because there's a penalty and he, and it's, it's a go ball. And Zach tries to thinks that the Elijah could be his man deep. And so he throws it deep. Elijah feels that contact. It's a great play from the corner. And so he kind of plays for the back shoulder and it's like, but a back shoulder fade to a, to a 5'10 receiver 45 yards down the field is a much tougher ass than it might be for a guy like Garrett Wilson. So I feel like that move might end up helping Garrett. And then second, my question for you is, but do you not, what have you seen from Garrett that says that he can't play on the outside? Like that no, Cleveland I, game, he had plenty of plays on the outside that he beat press coverage or he, you know, he worked uh, alongside Elijah Moore on the slot and made big plays. So I don't know. I think I for sure think he could play on the outside. I, I just believe this configuration is much, much better because Garrett Wilson, the difference between Garrett Wilson and Moore in the slot is that much wider than the two on the outside. And the slot is that much more important. I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I, Michael, maybe if you want to chime in here. Do you think you've seen anything that would, that would scream that Elijah Moore couldn't do it? Garrett Wilson's doing in the slot right now. No, I mean, I guess that's where the disconnect kind of is between, you know, you and I versus, where I think you are, Robbie, is because I think we both kind of think, you know, with more speed and his yak ability and, you know, some of the route running you showed last year that he can be sort of comparable to Wilson in the slot versus, you know, Wilson, I feel like he wouldn't be as much of a non-factor as Moore is right now because I feel like Wilson would have more trust in him to try some of those go balls to throw those 50-50s. Um, and I guess to me it's more about the, the route distribution than it is, you know, slot versus outside. Well, it's also, this, because it's also it's also this. It, the the route running in the slot on plays that you're not targeted. That's where Garrett Wilson yeah. really over over Elijah Moore. That's the kid. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I guess for me, like it's more the route distribution because you, know, you look at the numbers and they have it. This is from Next Gen Stats, but Moore is running a go route or at least some form of that on on a third of all of his routes, which is top fifteen in the league. And a league average is only 20%. So to me, I just think that's not really a fit to his skill set. So I do think he could be better if, you know, if you took some of those away and gave him more in-breaking routes that maximize his speed, like we saw in that Dolphins game last year. Um, at the same time, though, you know, his struggles this year are 
partially his fault. It's not entirely up to the usage, you know, like some of the things I mentioned before, like get your feet in bounds on that catch, win some 50, 50 balls, last couple of games, not separating as well. Sometimes effort isn't great. So it's not all the role, the reason that he's struggling. It's definitely not all that, but I do think he could be a little better. So that's why I think it's a frustrating situation because I think there's a lot of untapped potential with him in this offense and on this team that I feel like was going to be realized or, you know, potentially still could be at some point this season, you know, just with more time to acclimate with Zach Wilson, get better game scripts when they're passing the ball more, when they unlock the five, five or seven step drops, like you're saying, Robbie, uh, it felt like it was going to come at some point, even though he has, you know, there's been a combination of him struggling and the role not being great. But, uh, but yeah, when he, once he comes out and does this to me, it feels like a very hard thing to walk, walk back from not impossible, the bridge isn't totally burned. There are like some pieces of it still there. You could pick them up, try to start rebuilding it, but it's a tough, tough place to come back from. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't feel like it's that dire. I, do you think I'm under, do you think I'm really not making as big of a deal of this as, as it deserves to be? This is, I, to me, it's different when a guy requests a trade because he has fundamental issues with the organization like Jamal Adams or that he wants a new deal and he's not getting paid. Or It's like, this is a guy that just wants the ball more. Like yeah, I, I think that like... is a problem because they're winning and it's oh, also no, it's not a, it's, look it's at the a game problem. scripts. Like again, like I just said, like they're running the ball because they're running the ball well and they're leading. They've never been trailing the past two games. And it's only two games really where this has been a problem. You know, first four again, not where we want them to be, but he was making catches, he's making plays. It really just feels like the last two games that have kind of triggered it. So if you're gonna go that quickly while the team is winning, it's just very Oh, uh, questionable abso- for me. Absolutely, I know. I'm not saying that he's he should have done that. I mean, he's he looks he looks dumb for doing this. Let's just be honest. It was a dumb move because the fan base is turning on you. The locker room turned on you. You you bring a bunch of bad negativity to a team that had a lot of good vibes. And then guess what? If the Jets lose on Sunday, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to turn to Elijah Moore, regardless if he plays or not. And and going to look at him to be like, what the fuck did you bring all that negativity to Florham Park this week? But to me, it's just like, look, the Jets are essentially, the Jets are four and two essentially without Elijah Moore. For the love of, they could have had Denzel Mims out there for all, for most of his reps, and it would have been comparable. And maybe Mims is a better run blocker. It, it's not like Elijah Moore has done that much. I understand that he's had, a, you know, he's had some production, but for me, I just feel that Elijah Moore is a slot receiver. The Jets have been misusing him. And I think that this is something that as soon as he, is if they can have that conversation, if he apologizes to the locker room, they get back on the right page. And as soon as he has that breakout game, this will be something in the rearview mirror. That's how I feel about this. Maybe he gets traded, but Robbie, and because I know we don't have you for too much longer, I want to get your thoughts. Like, do you really think that that Joe Douglas will trade him this week or next week? I just don't see it. I just, I, I, I think, I think you're right in your first assessment. He won't if he's not getting the value he wants. But I think what Moore just did, and if and if no big time contrite 180 happens relatively soon. I think what he did, you know, takes him out of the future plans in the back of everyone's mind. Like, okay, we can't trade this guy because we're not getting the value, but he's written off in terms of our future plans. Like that's the way these guys work. They don't mess around. And that's the way you have to run your football team. You know, once that levy breaks and you can't cater to selfish guys, that's it. The integrity breaks and you can't do that. And I kind of view his, Listen, could I do I think he could be a, a solid slot player? Of course. You know, he's done it in spots. He can do it. But I also think he doesn't have that attention to detail. I, I think the selfishness that he showed off the field 
kind of translates on the field in terms of when he's not getting targeted, he doesn't go the extra mile in the slot. And, and I'm nitpicking, but when you're deciding who to put in the slot, to have a rookie there, that's incredible. You know, it's tough for a rookie to, to run in the slot, have left and right, have to navigate through the entire defense. Berrios does it best on anyone on the team in terms of reading the defense slot. He is by far hands down the best. I mean, he shouldn't he be bitching based on his level of production based on last year? No, but he shouldn't be. Like, no one's entitled to playing time. Who the fuck is? What, what's going on here? No one's entitled to playing time. It's ridiculous. I agree with you on Barrios because that's a guy that every time he's on the field, he makes plays. Every and time it, he's on the and, field. And it does give the Jets, I will say, it does give the Jets a little bit of flexibility, the fact that they have a guy like Barrios. A little is, bit, but then your depth is hurt. No, 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 mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying, again, I'm the guy on the pod who's saying I, he's not going to yeah, But I'm just it's saying just, it does give the Jets a little bit of flexibility. And to your point, when the, you know, the one quote-unquote negative, which is not really a negative, was when the Jets drafted all these guys in two years, it's like, well, they're not going to be able to pay everybody. Somebody's going to have to get traded right. or not going to make. And so I agree with you that maybe that this, this might be something, and it, it very well could be something that really does stick with the Jets. However, I do also think there's a chance that Elijah gets up in front of the team on Saturday or tomorrow or tomorrow and says, guys, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever, Possibly. makes up for it, and then has a baller game on, on Sunday or the week after that. Like There is, you're right, that's your best point. There is a way back from this. However, yeah. it had there has to be a, a real, genuine 180. Right, exactly. Um, as it stands right now, though, I think Douglas and Salah – are in that mindset that they're irate and, and they should be and the locker room is irate and they should be and if they if they kowtow to them it won't be good but they won't do that uh you know it's and the thing is man nani just said he broke it down he's been doesn't he have the most passing snaps on the season with all receivers yeah he has to run all those <laughs> like 10 miles yeah. a game without getting the ball but yeah no, that's I, more I, it's more of a product of where the jets offense is though you, like that's yeah. that's the thing well, you said one thing that was kind of interesting that I was really interested that I wanted to go back on, which was, do you think that the slot position, because I had always kind of, I understand that the slot has a lot of, of very subtle nuances. And, and look, I, I do think it's fair to point out that Garrett really did mess up a lot of the finer details on Sunday. I think that the game against the Packers was definitely his worst game of his career and probably the only game that I would qualify as bad. Every other game I thought he's been good in and, uh, you know, he's going up against a great secondary, et cetera. But um, do you think that the slot position is, is, I don't know. I don't want to say more difficult, but more on, on your plate in the sense that like, I've always kind of looked at it as yes. like, Oh, they're putting Garrett in the slot because, okay, he's getting free releases and he's going up against nickel corners and he maybe gets matchups with linebackers wow. over the middle. You're saying that you think that the slot is in some ways in this offense, the number one receiver. In, in it's a way. much more, it's much more mental. It's much more, you're the point guard as opposed to the swing man. If, if you're looking at basketball, you, you have to, you have to look at the coverage, especially if it's zone and draw guys away in certain situations. Again, the Cleveland game winner. What Conklin did on his route and him and Garrett being so in sync in that one-and-a-half-yard radius made that play happen. Knowing where the safety safeties were and the depth on the safeties and cutting it in the way he did made that happen. Against Green Bay, yeah, you don't like that out where he came back to the ball, but, you know, Wilson was late too. It was a bad job by Wilson as well. He had a few, though. Garrett had a few of those plays. Uh, what else? What else? Though? He had the one. He had the one on the the Zach Wilson sack where he ran it. He ran the curl just short of the the sticks. And I, part of me wondered, Michael and I were talking about this. If he ran it past the sticks, I think Zach might have thrown it because Zach's looking at him, and then Zach gets off of him because he's open, yeah. but he's short of the first down. And there was a few I other ones. Honestly, have to. I honestly have to see that one again. I can't comment. 
I got to see it again before I comment. There are a few times that I did notice that it felt like Garrett had, had made a few, had messed up some of the finer details. And I guess the thing mm-hmm. that I felt was that do you, I had always kind of felt that Elijah was the type of player that did focus on the finer details, but I agree with you that I've seen, especially in that Pittsburgh game. And, and it was a play that got a lot of uh, backlash, but the, the interception that Zach threw to Jeff Smith, whereas where Elijah Moore is just barely, he's like jogging. And then he overruns that hitch route. And like, you could just tell something Elijah messed something up on that play in addition to just bad body language and, 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 and whatnot. And it kind of led to the, to the interception. So I agree that Elijah is definitely, underperform this year it's not just he's not getting the ball he's he's not done his role to the best of, of his abilities what do you think is the solution with elijah i mean is it just keep playing him on the x and and sometime and maybe it'll click you know well what, it, it, that i think mixing it up more would have been my solution had he never done what he did but now that he did what he did you can't do that you, you can't cater to him like that's the problem because the long-term process is so much more important and the long-term process has resulted in working. So you can't suddenly do a 180 and just cater to one guy. You know, it's a team. So I, I would have tried to mix it up a little more, you know, tried to get him involved earlier, bubble screens, even get him in there on a jet sweep instead of Barrios against Denver. But once he went public, all that's out the window. Can't do it. So if, if this mindset continues with him, I think you scratch him. I think you don't dress him this Sunday. Do you think that he... I was wondering this because I'm wondering the extent of which he went public himself. I mean, obviously he knew it was going to come out, but do you think that he went in this morning and requested the trade and then it, and then Rappaport reports it later, or do you think he told his agent and then his agent tells Rappaport in the end? I mean, obviously you don't know, but like, I think that does change things in the sense of, you know, I think the one thing that kind of gives me hope about this is that it, it does, it's not a logical thing that Elijah did. It it was, it's an emotional decision. So that kind of gives me, the thought process that he might sleep on it, get all this backlash and realize what am I doing here? Do I really want to get traded to a, a three win football team? Just so I can have stats. The I concerning mean, thing is that you can understand just one blow up on Twitter, you know, the retweet of Samini, you know, 48, 48 hours tops, 24 hours. But the problem is it's basically Friday now and it blew up. So the conversation that he had with, with the floor, Sala, whoever else didn't go over well. And that's the yeah. problem. So and it's also it's sorry it's it's dumb though because it's like okay and we're not in those those meetings so maybe it's maybe it's Elijah saying I want to be in the slot or maybe it's what you know maybe it's a, to your point I don't you don't think you brought it up in the pod but you said it before like maybe Elijah's the one who's saying he wants to be the X receiver and yeah we don't know um, I never would have thought I think we said I mentioned this before the podcast started I never would have guessed this or thought this but you know with with him trying to get his and his stats and maybe leading to the contract. Maybe he refuses to play the slot because he sees bigger dollars on the outside. We don't know. I'm not saying that's the case, but we just don't know. It's, it's, it's dumb though, because it's like, okay, but look at the context of not only the jets have won three in a row and, and that the Russian game is on fire, but they're heading into Denver, who is one of the best pass defenses in the league. So of course, Elijah, this wasn't maybe going to be the week where you were going to be the focal point of the offense. Of course, it's going to be like, let's keep riding the Brees Hall train against a, t- a defense in a short week who just played a long, grueling overtime and your running game is killing it. Um, do yeah. you think – it's hard to say at this point, but this will be our last podcast before the game actually happens. Gut reaction, because I know we're, we're, you, you got to go soon. Uh, do you think Elijah Moore plays on Sunday? Yes or no? No, no. I think they're going to scratch him, start Barrios in the middle. Um, and listen, the, 
honestly, the whole slot X thing is overrated to begin with. Right. They, they mix it up so much. Right. They're in electric right. splits, yeah. bunches. It, it, it's yes. It is. He sometimes misused where it's not perfect, where he's running goes a little too much for sure, but nothing will ever be perfect, especially with a second year quarterback who you're trying to protect at times. You know, there's a lot of one read throws, so it's not going to be spread around. My gut is he won't dress. He'll be scratched. And, uh, you know, if I had to take a wild stab, I think he'll be traded to Green Bay for maybe a second and a third. Wow. I mean, Green Bay, it does make a lot of sense, I guess. They, they're, um, they have connections with Matt LaFleur. You yeah. know, and, it, he, and he knows the offense. Well, maybe <laughs> well, if he doesn't yeah. like Mike, Mike LaFleur, maybe he's not going to like Matt LaFleur. Yeah, but, um, you know, it, it, I know it's his brother, but, hey, the connection is there. Aaron Rodgers needs – a receiver Aaron Rodgers was just talking about, you know, speaking with his GM about getting receivers, you know, and that's the one spot where Green Bay would ante up and will be a first round pick. I don't think I doubt it, but you know, if they get a second and third, or maybe if they feel comfortable in it being a late first and then the Jets give something back in return with Elijah Moore, who knows? But I could see that being a possibility. Yeah, if they offered a first, I could maybe see it, but I just don't see Joe Douglas trading at Elijah Moore for anything less at this point. Second, second I, and a third is pretty good, you know. A second he, and a third is pretty good, but he's I a second about, round pick. This guy. But think about what we were saying about Michael. You just you thought Elijah Moore was gonna be the best player on the team, and we're gonna give up on him six weeks into the season because he's upset he's not getting the ball. Like, yes, it was an incredibly selfish thing to do, and yes, I understand you have to protect the, the culture, but. I just, Joe Douglas is not the guy to overreact. He is the guy to be measured in these moments of stress, who to sit back and calculate what is the best move forward. And the best move forward, like you said, Robbie, it may just be, okay, he doesn't travel with the team and he's inactive. And maybe this is a bit of a sideshow, but I just don't see him shipping off Elijah Moore unless he gets, and I know a second and third is a great offer. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, 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 I agree with you. I agree with you. He won't ship him off, but I think second and third for a disgruntled guy who the world knows you know, people are going to try to rail the Jets. I think he'd do it because, it, you know, unless, again, the 180 could happen, like you said, and if he's contrite. Um, but I, I don't see the trade happening immediately. I think they're going to give it Joe Douglas. You, to your point, Joe Douglas will give us some time to breathe and see what happens. Yeah. All right, Robbie, I know you, you got to go. I did want to talk to you a little bit about LaFleur, but let's do um, it. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Let's dive in a little bit. Michael and I, we're going to come back to, we're going to come back to Elijah. We'll talk a little bit more about the Packers game against the Broncos. This one will be another long pod. So uh, I know everybody's been asking for them on Twitter, but Robbie talking about Michael floor. Uh, and you know, I'll admit, you know, I think the cooler jets, Michael and I had a great, Michael had a great point last week where he was like, uh, the cool, the cooler Jets works a lot better when the Jets are losing because we're a lot better at being like, hey, relax, it's okay. When they're winning, we're, you know, we get a little bit more uh, optimistic over the top. And and on Sunday, you know, during games, sometimes the tweets can come out. And, and I was very, very critical of LaFleur at halftime at Green Bay. I recognize he had a great second half. But looking back at that first half, I rewatched it. You know, obviously it wasn't as bad as, as it seemed. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that they did some nice things and you could kind of see like, okay, a ball gets batted down at the line or this guy didn't get open or he ran this, the short of the sticks or, or whatever happened. You could kind of see the setup punches like you were saying, but there were still some plays in that first half, specifically on that last drive that drove me nuts. And then even at the end of the game, like why are you running three straight plays where Zach Wilson is a lead blocker when the game's out of, out of, out of reach. Zach Wilson's a lead blocker. Then you're t- sending him on a QB sneak. Then you're having him on a read option. Like, why are you trying to get your, <laughs> your quarterback who just came back off an of injury? Like, why are you putting him in the middle of this when you're already up two plus scores? 
Um, so there's like a few things every once in a while. No play caller is perfect, but can you maybe you're very, very pro LaFleur. I love LaFleur as well. I think he's the most mm-hmm. creative guy that they've had in, in recent years, but maybe just kind of explain your take and, and specifically on that, that first half and maybe some of the things that myself and, and other Jets fans are criticizing. No, that that's fair. The, the end of game stuff with the read option. And then um, how did he get out there to be lead blocking? What was that play? It was, it was a wildcat with Hall and Carter. That's right. It was like a wildcat read option. Yeah, that's fair. That stuff is fair. Sneak read option. Uh, the lead block on the on the wildcat. That's fair. Uh, fair criticism. First half, he was in full Zach Wilson protect mode. Wilson was yeah. not himself. He was not right. He played, in my estimation, a poor game. He was late on so many passes. His placement was rough. He just he had those wide eyes that we saw in Philly in preseason before he got hurt. That we saw sometimes last year that we didn't see in Pittsburgh. I thought he was confident, comfortable played better than the results in the first half of Pittsburgh. Actually, I thought he was a lot better than the results. Um, after the second half, he was really good. They just killed him on RPOs, you know, middle of the field, play action, three-step. Uh, but he just wasn't good in, against Green Bay. And LaFleur did a lot to protect him. Sometimes as an offensive coordinator, you have to go with the game flow of the game. And they only had 24 plays in the first half. So your defense is playing great. The units have to complement one another. So you can't do things that are crazy where – you might get Zach Wilson in trouble, get your team in trouble with a turnover. So they ran the ball well, 5.3 yards per clip. Um, I know fans got on him for, what was it, a third and one pass play and a third and two pass play. The third and two happened before the Zerline missed field goal, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, it was a play action, uh, sprint out to the left after the play action, and that's where he threw behind Garrett Wilson on the crosser to the sideline. Listen, it's it was it my favorite play call? No, but... I think the lack of execution in faking the play action, the play action execution was the biggest thing, not the play call. You're going to have to throw it on third and one, third and two sometimes. Um, so I didn't think it was that bad. You know, the Brees Hall touchdown, the floor. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, the floor ran the same play with a different, different personnel group in the first half. The only difference is there was no option to pitch it to Garrett Wilson on the reverse on that first one. So he set the first one up the touchdown one up with the first one and just hammering the edge, you know, Barrios on the reverse, hammering the edge so much, open that interior up for Brees Hall. Brees Hall made the play happen. They blitzed the safety off the edge, but the floor just did a great job going East West and it opened a lot of shit up for the Jets. I understand that he was in a protect mode and we're going to let you go in like two minutes here. Um, but it did feel like they could have, run the ball with Brees a little bit more in the first half. Do you not agree with that? I understand that you can't just be too predictable, but there was, I have to go back and, and find some specific plays here, but like there was numerous times when I was watching the game and even rewatching where I'm just like, I understand you're trying to get Zach in a rhythm here. Um, and, and Michael, I'm, I'm actually curious to get kind of your thoughts on this, but maybe post Robbie, cause we're gonna let him go. Cause Michael rewatching it. And I kind of have the same thing where it wasn't maybe as bad as I thought it was from Zach, but I agree with you. He did have a bit of those, those wide eyes. Um, it did feel like, I don't know, it was pretty obvious that the, the Packers defense couldn't handle Brees Hall early in that game. And it didn't feel like they really clicked into that till later. How much of the first half from Le- what you've seen from LaFleur is setting up what he's going to do in the second half versus, I mean, obviously you're always trying to score when you touch the ball, but how much of what he, what he's doing, would you say in your estimation is, is to set up what's coming in the second half? I mean, a good portion, but the other part of it is going with the flow, the momentum of the game too. You know, if your defense is playing that well, 
you're not going to take many chances. So do we remember the split on the 24 first half plays? How many times they ran? How many times they passed? It's a question for Mr. Numbers. Yeah, Nania, did you get that split? I thought I, I thought I I'm knew not, it. I'm, I'm totally not sure. Okay, yeah, I'd be interested to see that actually because I thought he, I thought he was pretty balanced in that first half, if I remember correctly. Um, and the Packers, they play a very stubborn defense where they play too high a lot. So they're aggressive up front, but they don't have the numbers up front. Uh, so could they have ran the ball a little more? Maybe. But then again, you know, if you go run heavy in the first half, you might not have that in the second half because Green Bay will make an adjustment. If, if you keep it balanced, it forces Green Bay to not adjust because they think they're fine. And then you open it up in terms of things you want to that you saved in the second half. You know, RPO, perfect example. That has been Zach's bread and butter because it's one read, uh, fake it, just read one guy on the second level. And whatever he does, you either hand it off or stand straight up pass over the middle he saved the rpo for the second half it was clear as day hit conklin once hit Corey davis once so stuff like that you got to keep it in the bag he wasn't perfect but no play caller will ever be i I just think he was dealing with you know a a quarterback who was not on his game and he had to do the best he could all right robbie we'll 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 let you go uh we we have a lot to discuss but uh you've you've graced you've been gracious with your time um, thank you so much for, for coming on. I mean, obviously we'll do all the plugs at the end of the podcast, but if you want to shout out anything in particular, come nah, to the Jets you, guys, you right. guys do your thing, do your thing. And just who's a uh, skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp in this duo, by the way. I, I mean, I don't think that applies to either of us. Yeah. I, I think is Ben. Skip um, and I'm, I'm Shannon Sharp. I'm Shannon Sharp. I was thinking I'm definitely not skip though. I think, I, you know, it's weird because there are times where I'm definitely more rational than Michael, but during games, Robbie, this yeah. guy is an absolute psychopath. So I think <laughs> some from Sunday from one to four or four to seven in this case, I'm definitely will be the much more rational one. Yeah. Kind of like, and, how, and you know, like a werewolf at midnight. That's kind of Jets yeah. game days. That's me. Exactly. I think when things are going well, Michael is more rational. And when things are going poor, I'm more rational. If that makes sense. The only difference is you caught me, you know, at my age, if you if you would have happened to catch me two decades ago, <laughs> it, it, let's uh, let's leave it there, I guess. But yeah, just start yelling at each other and make sure you yell at each other so I can listen to something. Afterwards. All right, all right. Well, uh, we'll make sure to hit you up at the pod or with the uh, the plugs at the end of this pod. But thank you so much for coming on, Robbie. All, all right, Michael. Michael, we haven't heard you too much. <laughs> I, I want to come back to the Elijah Moore stuff. Um, we got obviously want to break that stuff down. Actually, first. Was there anything that, that Robbie said there, maybe about Elijah, about LaFleur, or about Zach that you kind of want to jump in on? Because I know there's some stuff that you might have disagreed with, but we were trying to let Robbie do his thing while he was on. Um, but I know you, you did disagree with kind of his take on, or maybe I don't know, put words in your mouth, but his take on Zach? I mean, I, I definitely don't think he was good in this game. That's for sure. I think it was a below average game. He didn't play well. Those things are true, but I think there's always, you know, a spectrum to that. You know, there's the game he had against the Patriots last year. There's Darnold seeing ghost game. And then I think there's games like this where could he have been better? Should he have been better? Absolutely. Was he below replacement level, below average? Yes. But I don't think he was terrible just because I don't really think he cost them that much because it was not a good game for the receivers or Michael Floor's passing concepts in terms of creating separation 
and creating options. That that's what I saw because just looking at you know every single one of Zach's plays and just grading them and being like, all right, what should he have done here? What is the expectation on this play? There just wasn't a lot to be gained because Garrett Wilson was getting clamped up by Alexander. Um, and then again, the passing concepts just it seemed like the Packers were all over it and there just really wasn't much open. And for the most part, Wilson made the right decisions. He just, you know, like Robbie said, I think sometimes the ball was not coming out as quickly as it could have. Um, and then there were a lot of tough, tight window throws he had to make in this game, most of which he did not make, which, of course, you'd like him to make those, but they're just very tough throws. So it's it's a different type of disappointment versus, you know, missing wide open throws or struggling from, you know, just struggling in plays where you should be making the in the struggling in situations where you should be making the play versus here where it was like, if he's making the, some of these plays that they were asking him to make, it would be really impressive. You know, like that third down rollout where he's going to his left and he's got throw across his body, hit Garrett Wilson along the sideline with the defender draped on him. It's like, could he make that throw? Sure. He's definitely capable of that, but that's a really tough throw. And if he did make it, you'd be giving him, a ton of credit. So I think it was that kind of game where he was not very good to say the least. He was below average, but I don't think he was terrible or anything yeah. close to that. And I think, you know, I, I went back and, re- and rewatched it and yeah, it didn't seem as bad uh, on the rewatch. I mean that, like you said, it doesn't mean that was a good game. I just think the fear was that you were going to rewatch it and see you know, open receivers and like, you know, going back, this is the first game that popped in my head when I was thinking about this, but do you remember the the Darnold Broncos was a Thursday night football game in 2020 and kind of on, yeah. on the initial watch, you kind of think, Oh, Darnold had like a kind of a solid game. He had that long touchdown run. Obviously the jets lost, but you know, he had a few drives and compared to their first three games, you're like, all right, Donald played well. And then you went and turned on the all 22 and you just see like right. open right. receiver, open receiver, open. You're like, Oh wow. He should have thrown for 400 yards this game. And yeah, so yeah. Of- no, no, that's a really great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's a, perfect example of why it's important to rewatch these games especially on the film because you know watching this Zach Wilson game the first time on TV there's I was definitely thinking okay there's a chance this was a very bad game but it's pending what you see on that film because you don't know what's available until you watch that because you can't see the receivers on TV you see like two yards past the line of scrimmage that's all you can see for most of it so you know watching it first it was like all right, if, if guys are open and he looks the way he does right now, this could be really bad. But then you rewatch it, it's like, there's really not much there. Like There are some plays Nothing. he could have made, but for the most part, it's like, what do you want him to do here? So it definitely was that kind of game versus games like the one you mentioned with that Darnold Broncos game in uh, 2020. It was like, you watch it live. It's like, all right, these are some cool throws, some cool plays. You put up 22 points or whatever it was, some decent yards. But then you watch and you're like, um, guys are wide open this entire game that you're not throwing to. You should have had 40 points in this game. So there's always – the expectations are always different, and I think that's what you have to judge quarterbacks against, not, you know, 100 yards versus usually 250 is average. It's how many yards should he have got considering what's available on each play. And in this game, I think, you know, Zach was maybe a few yards, a few completions behind what I ideally would have liked, have liked him to have. But – um this is just as much on the receivers. And I think the passing concepts by LaFleur run game is great. LaFleur did 
some really awesome stuff in the run game. Yeah, we but, finally uh, got like the Kyle Shanahan. Were an open, were opening up. Yeah, we kind of got the Kyle Shanahan run game in this game, which was which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just trying to be a, a Zach Wilson truther for for the hell of it. I, I just think it's important to acknowledge. Like, look, the last two games. First of all, this. Uh, the first game that he came and played in, against Pittsburgh, yes, there was some stuff in the first three quarters. And, like, look, he had plenty of good plays. But, like, yes, there were some bad plays in there. But the fourth quarter, he put the team on his back and let a comeback victory. And he, you know, won that game for them in Heinz Field. And the second game against the Dolphins, like, yes, he maybe didn't have the craziest numbers. He would have had, you know, two passing touchdowns if Brees Hall didn't get tackled at the one-yard line um, and a rushing touchdown. But I game against his Dolphins was one of the, the best games that he's played in his career. Like yeah. he, he played yeah. an exceptionally clean game. Like, yeah, people will say game manager, but he, it wasn't like he's making easy throws after easy throw. Like he's making right, right. The complicated reads against a complicated defense based on confusing a defense. And so then he goes on the road against his idol, against a team that knows their entire offense and has a pretty elite secondary. And yeah, he didn't he didn't look that great. But again, the Jets won. He didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter. And when you look at what he had to do down the stretch, uh, the first of all, he had he had a play to, to Barrios where he like I think you sent it to me, but it was like a perfect pass. And the chemistry between the two of them. And to Robbie's point, you know, as much as Elijah wants to complain, you can make an argument that Barrios should be a starting receiver. Every time he comes on the field, he's you know he makes things happen. Um, and and the deep ball to Corey Davis, like, yes, you could make the argument, okay, if he sets his feet and leads him, maybe it's a touchdown. But I understand, like, look, he doesn't – in that spot of the game, he doesn't – he can't afford to miss him. Um, and so I give him credit. That was not a bad throw. It was still a good throw. It could have been better, yes, but it was still a good throw. And then I think the other – play, and then he had, you know, a, a nice uh, needle to, to Davis uh, on the play right before that. But the play that doesn't get really any attention because Tyler Conklin is wide open – uh, he does, you know, Telecom gets wide open. And I think it's maybe his last completion of the game, but it gets the, it sets the jets up uh, right at the start of the fourth quarter for Brees Hall's touchdown. Watch Zach Wilson's eyes on that play. You know, watch him move the linebacker and create that wide open space for, for Tyler Conklin or the, the play before that, how he changes his arm angle and, and fits that ball to CJ Uzama, who ends up getting, uh, you know, a chunk gain. So like, look, was it a good game from Zach Wilson? No, but was it a, a horrifically bad game where, you know, oh, he's terrible. He's trash bust. Like all these like fantasy football nerds and PFF guys want to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it was, it was, was it underwhelming? Sure. But the, I think there's you've seen enough from Zach Wilson this season and the offseason to still be optimistic yes. about what he's going to bring. And the team is winning football games. The team can win where he doesn't, you know, as, as Salah said when, when they drafted him, this team will lift you, not the other way around. So if the team is winning, it gives him an opportunity to continue to develop and grow like Josh Allen got in Buffalo. And not to make those comparisons, but a huge reason that Josh Allen was able to develop was the team was winning when he wasn't playing that well. You know, it's one thing in New York City – if if you're struggling and the team is isn't playing well and then all that that negativity is building up and every snap and it feels you feel that pressure but when the team is winning like it's easier to develop and grow and learn and so i think the jets are you've seen enough from zach wilson to, to buy in on him and and still feel confident about where he's going yes like i, I still think this is a good three game body of work to start out the season and and that's because this game wasn't terrible you know if this was a really bad game you know maybe it would be a little bit different but i think some of the discourse on him is just way off the mark right now and and I, I agree with what you said like I'm not trying to be a Zach Wilson truther by any means he could still be bad he could still yeah. be average like we don't know but we're just 16 games in so let's just be quiet and find out I think that's you know the big thing and a lot of the critics of him mostly non-Jets fans are people who are just looking at the box score and don't know what's going on it's like 
oh, Joe Flacco threw for 300 yards a game, and they were throwing 50 passes. But now Zach Wilson comes in, he throws 20. They don't trust him. Like, are you paying attention at all? No, they're not. In the first they're game not. against They play Pittsburgh, fantasy football. They play fantasy yeah, football. Yeah, like they, they just want to justify, like, they're just mad that the receivers aren't living up to their fantasy projections and that Zach Wilson comes in and their numbers go down. Maybe it's because Zach Wilson's better than Flacco and they're winning, so they're running the ball. Like, I think you think you, of that? I don't know. You could definitely say that, look, are there things that, that Flacco might be better at than Wilson? Sure, we'll, we'll find out. But the one thing that Wilson definitely gives, and I – I don't think you can say that the Jets would have beaten the Steelers with Joe Flacco. It's Zach Wilson's mobility behind this offensive line, which has definitely been playing better, but it's still not a perfect offensive line. And his mobility and his ability to extend plays, even if he just throws them away or if he runs or if he's able to create that magic, um, even dodge just the sacks. fact that the, the deep, yeah, dodge sacks, the defense has to defend it. Uh, I Joe also Flacco think- gets a safety on that one end zone play in this game. Where the unblocked yeah, yeah. rusher comes off the edge, Zach gets out and throws it away. That's a exactly. safety in Flacco. And also the you know it's not maybe it's not something to you know I'll throw it in here because I do hear it as a criticism, so I think it's fair to throw it in as a positive. People question Zach Wilson's durability. Not only did he take that headshot against Miami on the touchdown run, uh, yes, he could have maybe dove for that first round when he ran on I think it was like the second or third drive. But you have to remember the context of of what the discourse was about him after the you know, uh, injury against Philly in the preseason game. Yes, that was preseason, but it was like, why did he go out of bounds? And I think Zach saw that heat seeking missile of a linebacker coming towards his head and he slid and obviously he was short, but the sack that he takes on the play that I referenced to Robbie, where Garrett Wilson's open, I think it's on the second drive. It might be the third drive, but he, he rolls into it. You know what I'm talking about? He sees Garrett Garrett's open, but he's short of the stick. Yeah. So he doesn't throw it. He tries to roll out and he gets suplexed like straight onto his shoulder and head. And go back and watch that play and try to question his toughness because he pops right back up from that. So I think that it, that's not like a positive, but because I hear his negatives, uh, one of his negatives is I don't think he can stay healthy. It's like, all right, can't question the kid's toughness, at least. I'm calling him a kid when we're the same age. Um, I, I guess I, I would say, uh, I mean, if there's anything else you want to throw on Zach, there's a few other things I want to talk about this Packers game before we turn it over to Denver. Um, is there any other, is there anything else you want to touch on, on, on Zach? I'm sure he'll come up. Um, or anything else that, that Robbie said? No, I mean, I mean, quickly on Zach. I mean, I just, again, like I was saying, I think it's still a nice three-game body work. I think he's looking like the quarterback that we wanted him to be, which is a guy who could protect the football, be a stable, maybe, you know, close to league average kind of quarterback. And then hopefully next year is when he becomes a superstar or as the season goes on, you know? Um, and, you know, again, the thing I think about him being a game manager and all this it's just people not watching the game because Steelers game, you know, the run game is not good. They got into a hole. He had 39 dropbacks in that game. In the fourth quarter, he carried them through 12 passes, very difficult passes into tight windows under a lot of pressure. That's not a game manager performance. Yeah. That's the opposite of that. And then the Dolphins, it's like, you know, people say game manager because he only threw 21 passes, but like the work he was doing, it's not like those are easy throws he was making. And it's not like it, he should be discredited for how consistent he was in that game. He was, that was as consistent as I've ever seen him in terms of making the right decision, every single play, executing his throws, just very, very few mistakes in that Dolphins game. Uh, so just because the passing attempt volume is low, doesn't mean you're not adding value to the team or not playing well. That's just what the game script dictated because they never trailed in that game and they're running the ball well. And they had a bunch of big plays and short fields to where they didn't have to have long drives. So 
again, it's just game script is what dictates the passing attempts, but people act like it means the Jets don't trust him or something. That's not the case at all. And then the Packers game, you know, again, wasn't good, was not a good game, but it wasn't terrible. And it was decent enough to where you could still look at the three game body of work and be like, this guy's clearly improved over last season. I mean, you look at some of his numbers right now over uh, three games. He's 11th best in net yards per attempt, which includes sacks. And that's a big part of it because his sacks are way down from last year. And that's on him, I think, you know, for yeah, definitely doing a better job of avoiding sacks, getting rid of the ball. That's him. 10% sack rate last year, this year, 6%. So it's almost cut in half. Uh, so net yard, net yards per attempt, he's 11th in that. And then his EPA per dropback, you know, which is estimated points added. That is like a, context thing where it counts down at distance and you know the value value of yardage based on things like that um and that right now he is 22nd out of 37 quarterbacks so you know in that middle tier that's better than 15 other qualifiers and he was last in that last year so that's a very sizable jump uh so he's in that middle of the pack right now i really think he is regardless of you know his passing temps or anything like that they do trust him it's just game script right now has kept his passing attempts pretty low. So we'll see what he does these next next three weeks because the competition is tough with these next three games. Denver, Patriots, Bills, great passing defenses. All of them are top six, I believe, in most categories. So, um, so we'll see what he does against these teams. But right now I am pleased with the body of work. Yeah, another thing to consider is like Brees Hall is balling out right now. Like he may end up having, Zach may end up having some similar games. You know, you'd like to see, the type of uh, performances that he had against Miami more so than green Bay, obviously Um, I think that's more conducive to winning football, but he's not turning the ball over. That's a really big thing. I think some of the subtleties in his footwork or in his mechanics are a lot better. His play actions are a lot better. His eyes are a lot better. And like, yeah, as Robbie said, like it's a lot of one read looks for Zach, but I think Zach's doing a lot better job of last year when what he saw didn't line, what he saw pre-snap didn't line up what he saw post-snap. I think you saw a lot more panic. And as this year, he, he is late, maybe a little bit more quick to run. You know, he, if, if what he saw pre-snap isn't what he saw, what he sees post-snap, you know, he does maybe look to that second read, but he's a lot faster to run and he doesn't panic as much. So I've, I've definitely seen legitimate growth from him, but it's like, yeah, look, if the Jets keep winning, I don't care what his box score looks like. Yeah, I'd like to see him throw maybe a few more passing touchdowns so he can flex on some people on Twitter. But, you know, Brees Hall is the heart and soul of this Jets offense right now. And and I, that's a good thing. Like, despite what Elijah Moore thinks or, or what other random fantasy football nerds think about Zach Wilson's performance, if the Jets keep winning in the backs of, uh, on the back of Brees Hall, I don't care. Uh, and I think that, that well, I, I was going to segue right into Denver, but I guess we'll, we'll turn around a little bit and look at Green Bay. And then if we have anything else we want to say about uh, Elijah Moore, and then we'll turn over to Denver. Uh, Green Bay, I think obviously outside of Zach and – specifically the defense was outstanding. And I think the one thing with this defense that's really encouraging to me is like, I think that this style of defense only gets better, the better you play and the, te- in the sense that their confidence is up, their momentum is up. And, and I think you saw that in San Francisco with, with Saul in 2019, whereas this is the style of defense where once it clicks and once you have that attitude on the field, I think that's, it, it's infectious. You know, I think that will continue to carry game after game. I'm not saying they're going to have, amazing games every single week but i think it's it's really really encouraging that you saw the defense play like this because it really was the first time you saw a start to finish robert sala 49er defense here in new york so what did you think about the defense performance and, and some of the other things you, you might have saw when you got to take a look at the coaches film 
yeah, it was an amazing game for the defense, really in all facets. And when if you're going to go into Lambeau and hold Aaron Rodgers to 10 points, regardless of whose receivers are or anything, um, because he's had some rough teams and it's still pretty rare for this is still the biggest blowout he's taken at home. Um, if you're going to do that, it's going to take everyone. And I think everyone contributed to this, you know, from front to back. It, it all started with the D line. I think you know, rewatching it, it was, it was as dominant as it looked on TV and Quinn Williams was amazing. I mean, in addition to all the on ball production he had, you know, he had the sacks and the tackles, but um, he, you know, he opened up a sack on a stun. He was opening up tackles for people in the run game just by eating up blocks and stuff, you know, such as that Quincy Williams tackle. So Quinnen is dominating right now. He's the best defensive tackle in the league. That's, that's the truth right now. Um, Quincy Williams, I'm, I'm all aboard. I've signed my apology form. I, I haven't actually signed an apology form. Maybe you should make one out for me and I'll sign it digitally, but I'm, I'm all, all aboard the Quincy Williams train right now. He is, he's improved this year. He looks more disciplined, more dialed in. There we um, go. Just diagnosing plays better, finishing tackles. So I'm here. I'm aboard the Quincy Williams. Are are you training. on? Are you on the Braxton Barrios train as well? This oh, one's come an on. interesting one. Oh, this one's on. an, listen, listen, listen. With the ball in his hands, That's he is bullshit. fantastic, and his yeah. speed is amazing too. His speed is like I think he's the best player on the team. I do. Yeah, he is. I really think he is with all the guys that they have, which is saying something. But. If Elijah Moore now, if he's going to be inactive, he's going to be traded, whatever. And Braxton Barrios is now going to get big reps. Let's see what happens because I think you're going to be on, you're going to be on this separation. I, is he great in those areas? I don't know because all the games he played where he did get big reps, I never found myself impressed by his route running or his separation. I think he's good in these limited spurts as a gadget guy. Just get the ball in his hands. I think he's fantastic when he has the football, but separation route running over a lot of snaps in a game i'm not totally sure and i just bring that up because now it's something we might be seeing considering we'll, we'll see what happens with elijah Moore. but uh yeah I, i'm aboard the barrier train he, i just he doesn't need to be for a what master. he is i am aboard he doesn't have to be a master separator in my eyes like as robbie said like he really does do all the finer details right and i think that's big for that slot position and then yeah what he brings you when you can get the ball to him in open space uh yeah, I mean, I think you're. I think you're going to be on this. If if Barrios is a starting slot receiver, and like, uh, you know, I don't know if Zach's going to have a, a huge game on Sunday because of who they're playing, but I think you're going to come around on Barrios too and be, join that bandwagon because that guy every ever since the end of last season when he's hit the field, he's just been money. He has that chemistry with Zach, and you saw it. You sent I, me that. I'm story. on the bandwagon. I love having him on the team. I'm just saying, like, all right, let's as a starting. If he's slot a starting receiver. slot receiver for us, and like, I don't know. I think I will probably probably be a downgrade versus uh, what they have right now well i i mean i think elijah moore is better than him but i don't think it's going to be as big yeah. of a downgrade as you think it is uh all right do we want to go back to elijah is there anything else to say? i mean I, I think my i don't think we're too far off honestly i think we were a little further off in our, in our dms to each other michael was you know i mean as most jets fans like michael you said it to me i'm the only one who who was saying what i was saying which was essentially he's not getting traded which is what I was saying, because that's kind of how I feel. It's like, look, this is, yeah, it's selfish. It was a dumb move on, on Elijah's part. I think it was an emotional thing. I'm very curious to see what the process, what, like, did he, you know, did they go over the game plan on Wednesday and they're like, Hey, Elijah, you know, we're going to be running the ball a lot more. You're going to still be on the outside. And Elijah's still pissed. And then he comes in Thursday and says, coach, like I, we don't see eye to eye. I'm requesting a trade and a very, you know, 
rash and emotional move and then they send him home and then that gets leaked like is that what happened because if that's what happened i might feel a little bit better if he got sent home and then he's sitting at home and he requested a trade you know maybe is he was he upset that he got sent home i mean like we don't really know what happened and so that that does really play a a large part into what will happen but i just feel like look elijah moore is i think some fans because we haven't seen it really don't know the type of player that Elijah Moore is. But if the Jets trade him, I guarantee you Elijah Moore will be a good receiver in this league. And yes. I don't think you just yeah. trade good receivers like like that, especially ones that you drafted that are in the second year of the rookie deal that Joe Douglas picked himself, that Elijah Moore, or that, that you know, Zach Wilson is still publicly supporting, that is a good scheme fit in this offense if he's in the slot. Like, And we've never seen Joe Douglas be the type of GM. Has he ever traded? Has Joe Douglas ever lost a trade yet? I mean, so I he's not going to sell him for anything less than the first. And I don't think anybody would offer a first because we haven't really seen the production. So I use, I just think that he'll be on the team. If he, if he isn't at the point where he would apologize for, for bringing this negativity to the, to his teammates and, and whatever, if he, if he isn't at that point, if he's stuck in the ground of like, I'm requesting trade, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Then that's a different discussion, but I just, I feel like there's a way back from this. And I just, I feel like you're going to see that obviously publicly, you know, the first thing you'll see from Salah, I don't know if he has a, does he have a press conference Friday? He does, right? Yeah. So he'll have, yeah. A, pref- he'll have a press conference tomorrow and he'll say, we love Elijah. We want him here. He's going to, Elijah's going to be here. He's a, he, I guarantee he'll say the words, uh, Elijah's a big part of our future or something like that. He'll have something along those lines about Elijah's part of the future and blah, blah, blah. And uh, you're hoping that maybe he'll say, you know, look, we've talked about it. We've, you know, he's he talked to the whole team and we're in a good spot and he's playing on Sunday. Hopefully you'll see that. Maybe you'll see, He's not going to travel with the team. And if that's the case, then there's maybe some some more work that needs to be done. But I still think there's a way back from that. I don't think Elijah Moore is too far away from a breakout. I just think it's that he's he's a victim of circumstance. And you just wish somebody, his agent, would just grab him and just say, look, you're on a good team in the biggest media market in the world. And everybody in the building knows you're a good player. So, yeah, right now, are they are they pounding the ball because they have a young quarterback and they're facing a lot of good passing defenses? And maybe are they misusing you? Yes, but the cream will always rise to the to the top. And so it's just like it was a dumb move, an emotional move, but I just I don't think that this will be as big of a deal as everybody thinks it is right now in this moment. On, on October 20th, does it feel like, oh, he needs to be traded. Get this guy out of here. Is it cancer in a locker room? Maybe. But yeah. let's see how we feel about uh, November 1st. You know, like, let's, no, let's, see, I, let's see how we feel about it. I, I mean, for me, like, I guess my stance is like, I honestly don't know what the solution is. Like, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't have a, a plan here, like trade him now, trade him for this, or, you know, how long do you have him inactive before you trade him? I honestly don't know what the plan is. And I know he is a very good player. He's going to be a good player in this league. If he goes to another team, if he stays with this team, he's going to be good. I know he is. But all I do know is that this is a team that has worked so hard to build a great culture and, you know, put together these awesome vibes that they have going right now. And this is such, like Robbie said, just awful, awful timing to be doing this. And I just know it's a very hard thing to come back from. I know, like you're saying, it's it's not impossible, not impossible, but it is, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And I think they have, they put a huge value on the locker room and the energy and the culture and all that stuff. You know, like you said, so many times they're trying to build the best culture in sports. And I, I don't know, again, I don't know what the solution is or where they go from here, but I just know this is a very hard thing to come back from for me. And I I think it's something that definitely rubbed them 
very much the wrong way. It definitely rubbed them the wrong way. But even if he doesn't get up in front of the team and apologize to everybody, even if they just kind of work it out and he says, you know what, coach, I shouldn't have done that. Um, I'm still upset with, with the target share or whatever, but you know, whatever. Then you got an angry Elijah Moore playing who, who's ready to prove something. And I'll tell you this, Michael, as much as the fans are against him and the team, we don't know about the team, but maybe some teammates have been rubbed the wrong way. All it takes is one big breakout game from Elijah Moore and, and to play like the player that we know he is, people will forget that. Like I, that's just, that's just kind of my point is I just don't think this is as big of a deal as, as it's been. I think the trade request to me is just nothing. Like if he gets traded, that's one thing, but how, like, look, they've already had this situation with a guy in Denzel Mims, a former second round pick who's been upset with how he's been used and who's been treated far worse. Obviously Elijah Moore is the better player, but yes, he did. He, you know, when they asked him in the press conference, did he be honest about like, look, I just want to play, but we haven't heard a peep from him since then he's been inactive. He showed up every single day to work. He has not gone on Twitter. You know, he's represented himself well. And, you know, look, like he requested a trade and he's still in that locker room. Did that throw off the whole culture? And like, I understand apples and oranges in a sense, but there's, there's a way back from this. Even if Elijah Moore doesn't have the big come to Jesus moment and apologize to the whole team, even if he's just like, you know what, look, I shouldn't have done that, but I, you know, I still feel the same way. I want to play on Sunday. I still think you play him. Like, am I, do you think I'm dumb for, for thinking that? Like, do you think I'm off base here? I understand people were talking about, but it's like, Okay, and angry Elijah Moore is still a good, damn good football player who can help you win on Sunday. I don't think he himself is going to throw off the whole culture. If it gets to that point where he becomes a legitimate distraction on the sideline, like we saw Robbie Anderson, that's a different discussion. But him requesting a trade on Thursday because he's upset with, you know, his productivity or whatever, like that isn't to me like a culture, an earthquake to the culture or something. Like, you got to get him out of here. I, I, I don't think it. It's dumb for you to think that. I just, I, I think it's a lot worse than you do. I think, I think we're just putting too much stock into how much that these. I think people, I think there are also guys in the locker room who understand, like, look, Elijah knows he's a good player, and he wants to get paid. And the way to get paid in this league, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a heartless league. Like any of these guys could be sacrificing their entire careers every time they step on the field. And so these guys know, like, look, he wants to get that production. He knows what type of player he is. And I think the players in the locker room know what type of player he is. So. I don't know. I just think it's important. Well, I, I, on the same token, they could also feel like I'm Corey Davis. I get the same yes, amount of targets as absolutely. you. And I'm blocking to lead all these big runs. I'm not complaining. And then oh, absolutely. here's you. And, or here's Brees Hall like leading the team. I'm a rookie coming in here doing my thing. And instead of you know enjoying these wins, here's this guy out here complaining about him not being a part of it. I don't know. I think that no, just I, as easily guys could not, you know, like those comments i think that that but that's my point i think that there are plenty of guys in the locker room that have that point but i also think that there is a road back for him that that the the bridge hasn't been burned because i think everybody in that locker room understands where he's coming from they might think he's being selfish they might think he was really dumb the way he handled it you know some of those guys might talk to him but i don't think anybody's gonna be like how could he do this like it's like elijah what are you doing but it, it i don't know i just don't feel like this is the big seismic shift in the narrative about the jet season it's like it's just like he doesn't need to be shipped out of town yet like is it a distraction do you wish it didn't happen obviously but i there's a, there's a way back from this and you have to think about it like this like the jets are winning football games and garrett wilson really hasn't done too much the last few weeks uh elijah moore has been completely you know uh out of the game plan zach wilson hasn't really even scratched his potential so the jets are playing damn good football and winning football games and they still have even more room to grow so the the you know, the optimist to me is like, well, if they can get some of those things clicking, I don't think, you know, to, to try to rein this in a little bit and, and move on. I don't think the passing offense 
will probably have a big explosive game maybe until after the bye. There's there's a few chances. Like, you know, I think Denver has a great passing defense, but maybe they look at Brees Hall and, and try to stuff the box and play the run. And then that gives the Jets a lot of one-on-ones, man coverage matchups, which would be conducive to Elijah Moore's strengths. And then maybe, you know, Zach Wilson playing in that mile high air, maybe he has a good passing game. Or against, I don't think they're going to have a great passing game against the Patriots, but Belichick is doesn't seem to be that guy. Or But maybe the next game against the Bills, Josh Allen and company are putting up a lot of points. Maybe the Jets are down and they have to throw a lot, or maybe it's a barn burner. Who knows? But I don't think the Jets are slowing down that offense, so they're certainly going to have to throw a lot more. So, But then after the bye, though, that's there's plenty of opportunities in those games where, where they can really open things up a little bit. So it's just like, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's important not to be prisoners at the moment, and Joe Douglas is very good at staying measured and, and calm in these types of moments. I feel like we've had a lot of them that feel like, how are they going to move on from there? Or like, you know, it's just like Denzel Mims is still on this team. Trey requested nothing. And I know it's a different situation, but I just don't, I don't see Elijah getting traded for, for anything less than the first. I really don't, unless he's really become a diva or something like that. I mean, unless he's really, but have you seen anything else from, from him that would, that would it really does. Have you seen anything else from Elijah that would scream that he's a, he's a head case. I know there's that one video I, I sent you that was going viral on Twitter or something where he was upset. I think it was the bills game or the dolphins game or something. And he, he kind of like threw his helmet a little bit on the sideline and then AVT, it was captured on one jet drive. And then AVT picked up his helmet and handed it to him and said, Hey, come on, we don't do that. Which is a, you know, another great, you know, green plus in, in AVT's uh, checkbook right there to, in terms of his leadership. And I know Elijah Moore got in trouble for the the celebration at Ole Miss, but outside of that, Michael, I mean, this guy has been a character guy. Like I know this action speak louder than words, but He's not been a head case. This is the first week where we've really had any sort of concerns with Elijah Moore off the field. So I don't know. I feel like there's definitely a way back from this. Either way, I guess the fundamental point of this podcast is this shouldn't ruin the good vibes. I know the New York media will try to make it ruin the vibes because now they got a storyline. They got to attach onto it and the, you know, they'll try to to paint it as, oh, the Jets are, are falling apart or Elijah Moore doesn't like Zach Wilson or whatever it is. But the Jets are winning football games. They're a damn good football team, and they're basically winning without Elijah Moore. So this doesn't change anything. Uh, anything else you want to touch on with the Packers game, or should we talk about Denver? We can move on to Denver. All right. Let's talk about Denver then. Uh, I, I we, It's hard to preview without Elijah Moore because I actually do feel like, because of what I said a few minutes ago, this could end up being kind of a good matchup for him because I know Denver has a great pass defense, but if they're really keen into that run, it's going to lead to some opportunities for him to beat man coverage. Uh, how do you see the, the this matchup for the Jets offense versus this this vaunted Denver defense? Let's start there. Let's start Jets offense versus Denver's defense. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are sleeping on this matchup or the difficulty of this matchup for the Jets because the offense kind of gets all the attention for Denver, how bad that's been. But the reason their games are so ugly on national TV every week is because the other offense is just as bad because their defense is really good right now. So this is a great defense, and it all starts with that pass defense. They're number one in pass defense DVOA, number one in net yards per pass attempt allowed. It's the best pass defense right now. And granted, they haven't faced the best competition. I mean, they did just face Justin Herbert, but before that, you know, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, Trey Lance, the Texans, and then Geno Smith in the first game, although he's elite right now. Yeah, come on. You know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, not not the greatest competition, but regardless, they're only giving up 16 points a game, and that's hard to do. And it all starts with that pass defense. So great secondary. I mean, Patrick Sertan is an elite corner. I think he's established himself as that. 
Uh, and they got they got some other good pieces in that secondary as well. I mean, Justin Simmons is an elite safety. Uh, you know, the rest of their cornerback room, they got Kwan Williams, a former Niner. Uh, so he is familiar with playing against this kind of offense. Um, also, Kareem Jackson at safety, who's a veteran. So they have some pieces in that secondary. Pass rush is really good, too. Bradley Chubb. Um, a guy who's been breaking out this season is Baron Browning. Um, if you watch any Broncos game on national TV, he's been standing out a ton on the edge. Um, they got DJ Jones, the defensive tackle from the Niners, who's a free agent, who, who I really want the Jets to sign. Um, so they, they have a lot of pieces. It's a good. Hey, but you, you sent me you sent me a message. You sent me a message today yeah. about DJ Jones and and Sheldon Rankins. Yeah. Uh, um, what I said to you earlier was I feel like Sheldon Rankins has kind of come in and and been for the Jets what I hoped DJ Jones would be, which to me is like you know an athletic. Uh, defensive tackle who could fit in a four-three attacking scheme and you know, play good run defense and also rush the quarterback a little bit. Um, Rankins has been that, which he's been so much a, better. <laughs> yeah, he's been so much better. Last year was this guy's getting pushed around in the run game. They're running right at him, but now it's like, man, he's making plays in the run game, and that, that that's a big part of why the run defense is good. So Sheldon Rankins has been DJ Jones this year. If if anyone remembers, we talked about him quite a bit. You know, he's that's sort of what he is. He's a nose tackle, quote unquote, but like a four three nose tackle because he can play one tech, play two eye tech, and he's athletic and is able to do it in that attacking scheme. And that's what Rankins has been. Um, but nevertheless, D- DJ Jones is with the Broncos now doing that for them. Uh, although they're a three four team, so it's a little bit different scheme fit for him. But he's doing his thing, and they got a really nice defense against the pass. But run defense for the Broncos not as good. They're only uh, 16th in yards per carry allowed. They're 18th in rush defense DVOA, so it's a middle-of-the-pack run defense. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or uh, three weeks ago, the Raiders got them for 212 yards on the ground, so they are susceptible to a, a big uh, allowing big numbers on the ground. And the Jets are hot right now running the ball, so that I think that's where it's all going to start. I do think this is going to be another ground-and-pound sort of game, running the ball, work the pass off of that. Um, setting things up in the first half to work it off later. Um, but when I was doing my research in the Broncos, one thing that stands out with this run defense, stark splits between the type of personnel they struggle to defend. And it kind of goes contrary to what the Jets did last week. Um, last week, the Jets um, drastically increased their 12 personnel usage. Season high, 34% of their plays. 11 personnel, I think, was down to just about 36%, which is very low. Most teams are well over 60. That's what the Jets were doing previously. Um, but they finally got to that two tight end sort of offense last week, and they were ground and pound. Conklin and Uzama played a lot. They played together. Um, but the Broncos are the, one of the best run-stuffing teams in the league against 12 personnel. Uh, third fewest yards per carry allowed against 12 personnel. But against 11, they give up. Uh, among the worst yards per carry in the league um, when the, when the offense has 11 personnel on the field. So, um, so the Broncos splits call for the jets to switch things back to where they were prior to last week, which is move away from that 12 personnel, get your wide receivers on the field. And then when the Broncos lighten that personnel, they respect the pass a little bit more. They lighten the box. That's when they're getting beat on the ground. Do, so, do you think? Do you think that meant that they were trying to incorporate Barrios into the game plan a little bit more because he's a he's a pretty good blocker, and so maybe that was <laughs> cutting. Maybe some that's more a good point. Time. Maybe maybe they saw some of these numbers and they're like, eh, "We got to run the ball a little bit, get that jet motion threat, 
And Morris, like, man, I'm just done with this. Put me on the Panthers so I can get all my targets. I don't care about winning. All right, we're done with the Elijah Moore jabs, but never, we're focused on the Broncos. Um, but yeah, th- that that's really the biggest split that stands out for me with the Broncos is, you know, against 12 personnel, they actually stopped the run really well. They only give up 2.7 yards per carry, 5.8 yards per carry against 11 personnel. So it goes contrary to what the Jets started establishing last week, but I think Michael Floor has shown signs of being malleable, being able to adapt each week. And if he's going to do that again this week, if he's going to keep that up, I want to see him go back to being 11 personnel heavy because that's what works against this team. I think the Broncos are more susceptible when you spread it out, when you have that threat of the pass, and you can get them on outside runs. That's what the Raiders did. I looked at some of that Raiders film uh, from when they had 200-plus yards rushing against the Broncos, and they put up uh, over 30 points. Um, it's a lot of the same thing. You know, 11 personnel, run the ball outside, um, have your receivers pin the edge guy inside. Corey Davis is great at that. He's been amazing blocking this year. Um, and that's I think that's a big part of why they're so good running with 11 personnel is because, you know, when Corey Davis is on the field, it's almost like you have another tight end. So you have 11 personnel. The other team puts another DB in. They take out a linebacker. So they're lighter. But you have Corey Davis who can just pin your defensive end inside and you run behind him to the edge. And it's 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 an advantage. Um, and what's interesting is the Jets actually are better rushing out of 11 personnel than 12 this season, which I was surprised to see, but that's actually the case. Um, so this season, the Jets are 22nd in yards per carry with 12 personnel, 3.6. They're sixth in yards per carry with 11 personnel um, with uh, – I'm looking at it right now. I'm just trying to find it, but they're sixth. I forgot the uh, it, oh, 5.4, 5.4 yards per carry. There it is. Um, but yeah, so the jets are actually better at that too. So I think that's where I would start out this week. Uh, less 12 personnel, more 11, get Barrios in there, have that jet motion, yeah. um, use that threat. And that's another thing the Raiders did when I was watching that film, jet motion, the linebackers react to it. Then you run uh, from where the jet motion originated because you're moving guys away from that. And it creates natural lane. So 11 personnel, jet motion with Barrios, uh, run behind Corey Davis, run the ball at the outside, uh, force them to lighten the box. I think that is the plan to exploit their run defense. How do you think they get Zach Wilson going in this game? Or do you think they just, I mean, they're going to have to throw the ball. So they can't just key in on, on run the ball with Brees Hall and Braxton Barrios. Under no, him. they should just run it every play, I think. Yes. Every single play. I they think don't trust he... Zach Wilson. I think the RPO game that we saw from Zach a little bit in the and his first two games was definitely really encouraging. Yeah, and I I think this is a good a good matchup for that, um, especially if they're really loading the box and keying in on the run. I mean, the, some of the RPOs that you can really do and try to get the linebackers to bite. Um, again, I you want Elijah Moore playing in this game, honestly. Like, show you, I don't I don't think they're going to be as quick to inactivate it, but we'll see. I mean, I, I definitely think there's a chance. You know, there's can't be a total no repercussions to, to what happened but this is a matchup where i think you really want elijah Moore in and then you can run some of those rpos and not that garrett wilson or Corey davis or barrios can't do that but there's going to be some options because they're going to play Brees hall so heavily they're going to bring everybody into the box and i think not only is there going to be some opportunities to to manipulate some of those those guys in the box with rpos but i think there's going to be some real opportunities to hit some deep balls for zach so what do you think the, the game plan for zach should be in this game um, to, to keep the Jets on the, on the winning path? Oh, I, I think there are a couple things the Jets can do to help them get going. Uh, number one, I think one of the weaknesses in the Broncos' coverage 
is their outside linebackers. They drop those guys a lot. They're three, four defense. So, you know, those outside linebackers will drop sometimes. Like you remember when the jets were a three, four defense, they would have guys like Jordan Jenkins and Terrell Basham. These guys would drop sometimes. And whenever that happens, you want to expose those guys. That's a hole in this defense. Uh, so the Broncos edge defenders, they combine to drop into coverage 17 times a game, which is a lot for edge defenders. And they're getting scorched this year. They've give, given up 11 catches on 12 targets for 140 yards. That's almost 12 yards a target, which is very, very high. So you want to exploit those guys. So I would like Zach Wilson to be on the lookout for that, hunt down those matchups. Uh, you know, if you see the outside linebacker drop and they replace him with a blitzer from somewhere else or however they do it, you got to look for whoever's in that area because these guys are really not able to cover anything right now, but yet the Broncos do it a lot. So I would keep an eye on that. Um, in the first game of the season against Geno Smith and the Seahawks, they had Bradley Chubb drop on this one play and he had his eyes locked on the quarterback. He came up, just left his zone, tried to get Geno Smith and he let up a wide open 38 yard touchdown and They've had a few plays like that. So I would look out for those guys. Then if I were LaFleur, I'd try to put those guys into conflict and, you know, put multiple routes in the shallow area of the field, make these guys have to look at eye candy and make decisions and give Zach Olson some opportunities to exploit that, um, you know, with shallow crossers, slants, whatever it is to put those guys into conflict. Um, another thing I would do is I'd rely on the screen game more. The Jets have not run a lot of screens this year, at least as many as, I think a lot of us anticipated in this scheme, but uh, the Broncos are tied for the league lead and missed tackles this season, which is surprising considering how good they've been defensively, but they are tied for first in that category. So that's something I want to exploit because their coverage is amazing, but the tackling is not so good. So I want to take the focus off of the coverage and make those guys tackle more. And if you could do that, especially considering the, yak ability of the Jets receivers which is why it would be great to have Elisha Moore um, then I think you start to turn the advantage in your favor because Jets are out running against Broncos coverage that's advantage Denver but if you get the ball underneath and you have the Jets you know yak against the Broncos tackling then I think you're talking about an advantage in the Jets favor so screens to Hall get Barrios on jet motion get some screens to him Garrett Wilson um, maybe get him a screen. We haven't really seen that from him. I would like to see what he could do with that. I would get the screen game going. And it's not just screens. It's also just, you know, in-breaking routes. Like I mentioned, slants, drags, crossers, things like that to put the outside linebackers con in conflict. Not only that, but you get guys the ball with momentum and you could exploit the poor tackling of their defense um, and maximize the speed of your players. So, uh, those would be two things that I would do. Try to exploit those outside linebackers and then find ways to get the playmakers, the ball underneath so you could exploit the poor tackling. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what this defense looks like after a, a brutal loss to the Chargers. They're coming off a short week, long, grueling overtime period where they blew the game. And obviously a lot of, they have not lived up to expectations. So while some, by one token, you could say they're, they're coming in angry, the other one is at this point of the season, when you the, the way they've played through six games has been this underwhelming, 
they maybe they're losing confidence in Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe they're losing confidence in Russell Wilson. If things don't go well to start this game, I'm, I'm sure you're going to see some hear some boo birds from your television. So I think this is a team on the ropes, and and I think that that overtime loss, I'm really expect uh, interested to see how it affects uh, their defense. I, I wonder what the numbers are on like defenses the week after playing a long overtime period on a short week because it can't be good. Um, shall we talk about Mr. Uh, Unlimited or, or Danger Witch or whatever he's he's been up to? Uh, I guess he's now he's Mr. Limited because he's been li- limited in practice with his uh, with his hamstring. So I don't know if we'd rather face. You have a Broncos Country Let's Ride impression. Broncos Country, let's ride. I think let's he had ride. He, let's ride. Well, I like no, I like the one where he was like <laughs> after the blowout loss. I forget who it was too. It was a few weeks ago. He's like Broncos Country, and then he realized like how ridiculous he was being. So just, as he walked off the podium, he's like, let's ride. Um, do we want then he uh, dropped it? I think after the last game, yeah, he didn't say it this game finally. Yeah, uh, I did just watch that video of him talking about how he's Mr. Unlimited and like what gives you what gives you uh strength unlimited or like I'm trying to think of some of the quotes he had in there, but it was just like the cringiest. He might be my least favorite athlete, <laughs> and it's he's not like an asshole, like he just seems like I don't, he's just he, so he unlikable. tries hard. Yeah, he just he tries too hard. Unlimited, and then those stupid subway ads with the. You ever sandwich. do something dangerous? Like this. I done something like that. Oh my god! I mean, like, <laughs> I don't. If he wasn't playing football, I don't even know what he would. What, what What would Russell Wilson's job be if he wasn't playing football? Tweet us that, or Michael, if you have a funny one off the top of your head. But if that guy wasn't a multi-million dollar quarterback, he wouldn't be married to Sierra or whatever. He wouldn't be. I don't, he's just, ah, I don't know. God bless him, I guess. I mean, he's he's just uh, he's just an alien. He's just dialed into football, but he has not been that good this year, Michael. He's been underwhelming, and and now he has a hamstring injury, so now he's going to be even less mobile. This Jets defensive line is certainly licking their chops looking at this Broncos offensive line. It's possible maybe that the Jets face a vaunted Jets killer, Brett Ripien. We, we already mentioned that Jets-Broncos game uh, you know, a few minutes ago. Um, but it sounds like it'll be Russell Wilson. So when we look at this this Broncos offense versus Jets defense, this is certainly the matchup that, that has to have you excited. Yeah, for sure. Um, if the Jets are going to win this game, I think it is going to be a very low scoring, kind of ugly game, which the Packers game was for the most part. But I think it could be even more so than that. Um, but watch this be like 45, 40 or something like that. That's usually how it goes. But most likely that won't happen. And I think the Jets defense is going to have to come through with a really dominant game to win this one. Um, but looking at the Broncos and their uh, pass numbers, and their run numbers and the O-line, um, I think the Jets can really establish themselves on early downs with the run defense. And I think that to get back to the Packers game quick was a huge key in that game it was the first and second down success because the third downs the Packers got into uh, most of them were, or a lot of them were, completely impossible to get out of like third and 20 you know a lot of very long third downs and that all started with first down zero yards on an Aaron Jones run second down dump the ball off make the tackle for no gain so they got all these third and longs and that was a huge part of it so I think the Jets run defense has the edge here the Broncos are 22nd yards per carry they only have two rushing touchdowns you know, they lost Javante Williams. They're shuffling through these running backs. Apparently, Melvin Gordon's going to start this week. Uh, he's a fumble machine. He's got four this year. His yards per carry is only 3.7, which is very low. The 
Broncos haven't even had a 20 yard run this season. So it's, it's not a good run game. And I, I think the offensive line really struggles in the run game. And this is a chance for the Jets to really assert themselves on early downs, create third and longs, and put even more pressure on Russell Wilson than I think the Broncos want him to have right now with his injury, with his struggles recently. Um, if the Jets can win the early downs, they should be able to have similar success to what they did against Rodgers last week. Um, passing game will be interesting, though, because, you know, it's it's a type of matchup you don't really want to sleep on too much because – Yes, they've been terrible, but you just feel like at some point an offense that has Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton is and KJ Hamler's got they've got to be good at some point, right? So you don't want to sleep on them too much, but so far it's it's been shaky outside of Sutton, who's had a, an amazing start to the season. He'll be a great matchup for Reed and Sauce. Uh, outside of him, no one's really been consistent for them. Judy has struggles with drops. He's catching less than half of his targets this year. Um, then beyond him, their third leading receiver is Hamler with 109 yards. He has four catches this year. So there's not a lot of versatility that passing game. It's been a rough go at it. Uh, I do think their pass blocking is decent, but they are dealing with some injuries. Garrett Bowles, their left tackle, he's, he's a very good player. He's done for the year. So that one hurt them. Then I think Javante. they had another injury. Javante uh, Williams. Yeah, I mentioned Javante Williams. Oh, He's out as well. Sorry, but, uh, I zoned out for this next part, so don't worry. Have yeah, I, I think their left tackle who replaced Bowles got injured is what I was going to get at. But uh, I, I think it's a decent pass-blocking offensive line, but they have some injuries and some shuffling going on. So uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, uh, but the, the Jets pass rush beat up a good Packers offensive line last week, so they can definitely get after this one. Um, so we'll see if the Jets defense can keep it up this week. They have an op- opportunity to truly dominate this game. I, I think as much as the Broncos defense is tougher than the Packers defense, it will be a challenge for the Jets. This offense is obviously much, much less intimidating than that Packers offense. So it's it's an op- another opportunity for the defense to really take over a game. I have uh, – this is what I was thinking – this is what I, why I didn't really hear everything you said there. I was trying to find the, the best – evidence i could as to why the jets are going to win this game on sunday michael are you ready all right i'm ready i, I think i have an alter ego his name his name's mr 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 unlimited yeah you gotta be <laughs> unlimited you, know, you gotta have a thought process of being unlimited so when people ask you you know what you're thinking about or what you want to do in life yeah. or where do you want to go tell them michael so i'm unlimited yeah you know what i mean so when they ask you certain questions like Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Sauce Gardner when he throws a pick six in this game. I think Russell Wilson is is I mean, look, like you said, he's he's always dangerous. Uh you know, I, I still think we've seen plenty of quarterbacks play late into their careers. And so there's no reason that Russell Wilson can't, although obviously his athleticism has gone down off a torn hand or torn hamstring, uh, an injured hamstring. He's one of the biggest things that he always brings any offense is his ability to survive in the pocket. One of the things we've always been praising Zach about this season is his ability to dodge sacks and, and make plays happen and improvise. That's a, a key part of Russell Wilson's game. And so I'm curious to see how the hamstring might you know impact that because turning Russell Wilson into a pocket passer uh, we'll, we'll turn, uh, we'll give the jets plenty of good results in this one. Uh, and so I, I'm very encouraged, completely different offenses, 
but the Jets were already able to contain a mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson. And not that Russell Wilson is, is anywhere close to that, but I'm confident in the Jets ability to keep Russell in that pocket, especially if he's injured. And like I said earlier, the, the way, the fact that the Jets defense had this game against the Packers has, has really been playing lights out since what? I mean, I mean, obviously the Dolphins game, they, they played extremely well, but they've had a number of really, really good games this season. Outside of the Cleveland game, you, you could make an argument that they've been good all season. They really couldn't, they really didn't kick it into that, that gear though, until this past Sunday. So the fact that they're already, but the fact that they had this game, the defensive line is playing like that. I just think that that confidence, and that momentum is going to continue to carry over. And the strength of this defense, yes, it's on the defensive line with Quinn Williams and Carl Lawson and John Franklin Myers and hell, Sheldon Rankins and that, that whole, that whole group there. But this this secondary is really what has been the biggest difference and the catalyst for why this defense looks so much different than it did last year. And so anytime you, you the Jets match up against teams that have good receivers and predicate their offense on the receiver play, like you have to be confident in the Jets' chances. And and I don't I'm not confident in the Broncos' run game. I'm not confident in their their offensive line. I'm not really that confident in Russell Wilson. The one thing that might scare me are those receivers, but the Jets certainly have the defensive backs to match up with them. Um, so I think you have to be confident about that matchup there. The the, the question for the Jets is going to be their own offense. I mean, look, I, you know, I'm not to not to say that the Broncos might not have any success on offense. They might have a few touchdown drives or whatnot. But overall, I feel pretty confident in this Jets defense to hold this Broncos offense under 20 points. I mean, maybe under 25 points or something like that. But I think this Jets defense can hold. And I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities to create turnovers in this game and get sacks and make big plays happen. And and so I think you're you're in store for for a good defensive performance day it really just comes down to can this offensive line keep it up can Brees hall keep it up and then how does zach wilson uh play in this one uh i guess i don't know i think we can we can move ahead to to some of the uh to some of the who's better segments if there's anything else you want to add here i mean we, we you really did go in depth there on that on that uh those matchups i guess I would say this, how does, in your opinion, not to, I know we talked about the defense a little bit, um, but I do want to get your thoughts on this Jets offense on one more point. If Elijah plays versus if he doesn't play, how much does that affect the Jets game plan in your eyes? Or do you think it doesn't affect it at all? I mean, based off last week, it, it wouldn't affect them at all. But how does Elijah Moore's potential, you know, inactive status affect the Jets game plan? I mean, it'll be interesting because they do kind of, you know, with the way the receiver position is set up right now, they kind of have, you know, Barrios is that fourth receiver. He's playing, you know, 20, 30 percent of the snaps, and then they have the main three. So if more is out of the equation, you know, is Jeff Smith now in that Barrios role? Because it seems like they like him and they would kind of trust him to, no. you know, no. to do that. So, I mean, no. are they just, you know, eliminating that fourth receiver completely? And then now they're playing more 12 personnel. Uh, I really, no, I think they just, I think they just rotate them less. I think Barrios just go, his snaps go up uh, tremendously. Like, I just think then you'll see a lot more of, of Davis and Wilson on the outside Barrios in the slot. And you'll see uh, that for most of the game. Yes. You're going to get some Jeff Smith and hell, you'll probably get some Denzel Mims. If more doesn't play, I think you, you will get a legitimate shot at, at, the perfect example of the guy who requested his trade, it got denied, but he didn't go public. He hasn't bitched and moaned. He's been inactive every game, and here's his opportunity. And so I think if Moore is inactive, you're going to see plenty of Denzel Mims. And, boy, what a story that would be. <laughs> if Mims goes out there and has a good game, I can't even imagine. <laughs> um, but I don't think you're going to see, like, all of a sudden a huge increase in Jeff Smith snaps. I mean, he'll play, but it's not like he's just going to fill in for Barrios. I think you're just going to see the, the Jets, you know, 
increase Barrios as a whole. Um, it is fascinating to, to what they're going to do, though. I mean, it really did add a, a wrinkle that we didn't want, but does add a, a level of intrigue to this game for me in terms of what do they do with Elijah Moore. I think we'll know, though, what, what if he'll play or not Saturday. Because like, if he's not going to play, I don't think he'll travel with the team, right? I don't think it'll be one of those things where we wake up Sunday morning and we're like, oh, he's inactive. Like, I just think he either travels with the team or he doesn't. Do you agree with that? Right. I mean, I kind of feel like, I mean, if he's an active player, still travel, right? Yeah, but he so. he would he wouldn't be inactive for for an injury. <laughs> like he'd be inactive yeah. because there's a situation going on that they either want to discipline him or want to give him space away from the team and figure out what he wants or I don't know what I, I mean. I don't even really want to call it a nightmare. I mean, it sucks, but it's like the Jets are winning games without him, and nothing has really ruined the good vibes for me on how this team is playing. And that's just the, the mentality that I have, and I think it's the mentality that a lot of Jets fans should adapt because they could have won all these games without Elijah Moore this year. So it'd be, it would be awesome to have him contribute and, and play up to the receiver that we know he is in this offense and get it clicking, and I still think there's a very good chance that happens. I, I really don't feel like he's going to be traded, but if he is, you know, uh, it won't happen before our next pod. I don't, I don't, I can't see it happening over the next few days. Oh, well, actually I shouldn't say that. Maybe it could, but I, I really don't see Elijah Moore getting traded anytime soon. And I just think that this will be something we look back and, and put it in the rearview mirror. But as Robbie said, I think it will be something that, that Joe Douglas might remember. And I think it will be something that some fans will remember until Elijah Moore has that, that breakout game until he has that dominant game and, and, until he has that, I just think he's going to draw the ire of a lot of Jets fans. He might get some booze. He's going to draw the the ire of the media and maybe even his teammates. It's just it's an unfortunate situation. But you know, I'd rather have this. I, I know there's like the sentiment of like this couldn't be a worse time for this. Well, yeah, there could be if the Jets were losing. <laughs> the Jets were one and five. That's and worse. I don't if, think if that's the Jets worse. were one in five and Elijah Moore requested a trade. It'd be much worse in my eyes. The fact that the Jets are winning without him. Does, makes this not as big of a deal to me. You can make the argument, well, then it's like, all right, well, then it's very clear that the Jets need to, that, that the Jets are in the wrong and they need to play more and get in the ball. And that that's the reason they're losing games. Like maybe that would change the uh, perception of it, that he's not being selfish or whatever. But I would much rather have the Jets be four and two and have, have him request. Well, no, trade. I agree with that. I'm saying it makes it worse for him that it's, you know, he's doing now. I think it, it makes him look more selfish, but. If he requested yeah, the trade, that's what I mean. for, from a fan's perspective, though, if he requested the trade, just in terms of the timing of it, like if he requested the trade and the Jets are one and five and their only win was against Cleveland or something. Oh, like, yeah, then that would be more of an indictment on the team. Exactly. I so, get what you're saying. Yeah. So it's like, I don't really, you know, Elijah wants the ball. Elijah knows he's a good receiver. Everybody knows he's a good receiver and he wants the ball. And the Jets are saying, look, right now that's not going to happen based off the matchups that we're facing. We're winning games, running behind Brees Hall. We have a young quarterback and we have plenty of other weapons. So your time will come and the cream rises to the, to, to the top. So this is a, overall, this is a good problem to have. You wish it didn't happen this way. You wish things happened more in house. And, you know, you look at a guy like, you know, maybe who, who's to say that Michael Carter isn't upset with, with how he's been kind of cast aside for Brees Hall, but he's not going public with it, you know, at least yet. Um, he's good friends with Elijah Moore though. So who, who knows how he feels about this whole thing? I am. It'll be fascinating to watch how the Jets look on Sunday. If they come out there and they and, and with or without Elijah Moore and they win this game, I don't think this will be a big big deal. But depending on how if Elijah plays and if he if he plays well, but if they come out there and they lay an egg with or without Elijah, then it maybe becomes a little bit more concerning to me about like okay, did he cause a bit of a, a rift or whatever? But I just overall I look at this as like 
It's a good football player who wants the ball and the Jets are winning games. There are a lot worse problems that we've, we've had to talk about on this podcast. Um, all right, let's do uh, where the Jets are better. Quarterback? Unlimited. I mean, I who do you go with here? Jets or Broncos? Um, man, I, th- I think the way they're playing right now, you have to say it's Zach, honestly. Right? Is that wrong? I mean, I don't think it's wrong, but I feel like any objective person would be like, you can't put Zach above Russell, especially from what we've seen from Russell. So what, I would say uh, the way the way that people talk about Russell Wilson right now, I feel like no, a lot no, of people no, no, would no, agree no, with no. that. I'm saying, but as a whole, his whole body of work. Yeah, I'm, obviously. But I mean, well, who I do don't you know, trust but, more to win a game right now? I'm not saying like grade him off his whole body of work. I'm just saying because we've seen Russell Wilson be an elite quarterback, it's a lot easier to say that he's better than Zach Wilson right now because we haven't seen Zach really be an elite quarterback. But I would say I would say the Jets too, but I I I'm hesitant to put him over Russell because right, wash. Same right, last wash. name. It's a wash. All right. Best quarterback is Wilson. Uh running back. Yes. Jets. Yeah, not even close. Jets. Receiver. This this changes with with yeah, Elijah this Moore, is a lot maybe. different now <laughs> let's say uh, let's say Elijah doesn't play doesn't play so you're basically I mean Garrett Wilson Corey Davis Braxton would you rather Davis have first. would you would you rather have the Broncos receiving core or the Jets receiving core I mean it's hard because of schemes and stuff but I don't I don't think it's biased to say Jets right I mean Sutton is, is great but Judy's been disappointing then after that they've pretty much nothing yeah, but wouldn't but wouldn't uh, a Broncos fan look at uh, the Jets and be like, all right, well, Garrett Wilson had one big flash game, and and Corey Davis, he's you know, like a, we don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be as balanced as possible here. I'd say if Elijah Moore doesn't play, it's ah, fuck. Uh, you know, I think we're just so accustomed to the Jets not being the better team that we're like hesitating because yeah, like you can make an argument for the Jets at quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line linebacker and second like you can make an argument the jets are better than the broncos in literally every position but like you're i'm hesitant to do that that's why i'm trying to be like a little bit more balanced here if elijah moore doesn't play i'm gonna get the broncos receiver but again i think you make damn good argument for the jets but i'm just trying i'm trying to be a little bit more i don't know reasoned here tight end yeah so uh, i guess let's say wash for that too I gave it to the Broncos, but I mean, Corey I Davis has almost as good numbers as Sutton on way, way less targets. And Garrett Wilson is has similar numbers to Judy. Yeah, but but the and then Barrios kind of puts you over the top as if he's your third guy. All right, fuck it, we'll go with the Jets. All right, this is gonna be the Jets for everything. Here. I don't want to be biased though. No, we're going with the Jets then. All right, tight end. Um. So they got Albert O, Eric Saubert. I'm going Jets. Offensive line. It's not close. Jets. Yeah. Defensive line. This is super unbiased. <laughs> well, that one's not even close. Do you, I mean, do you think yeah, the, Jets, the way the Jets offensive line's been playing? The way they're the playing week, right now, yeah. Yeah, the last two weeks fair. they've been yeah. awesome. I mean, they've been unbelievable the last two weeks. I'm not saying that, yeah, the Broncos offensive line is not better than the Jets. Come on. Defensive line. Jets, come on. Oh, uh, I don't this this one's definitely. Oh, come on. Quinn and Williams. What? Uh, yeah, I but... mean, this is the number one pass defense. That's a big reason why. 
Yeah, and okay, name one defensive lineman who's better than Quinn Williams, or name one of them that you'd rather have than Carl Lawson or, or John Franklin. Myers okay, but they're more well-rounded, and possibly, I would say. Maybe Who in that defensive line would you rather have than the Jets' starting defensive line? Who would you sub out on the Broncos' defensive line for the I Jets? I think Chubb versus Lawson is the conversation. Okay, it's a conversation, but it's Quinnen, JFM, and Rankins. I mean, you could maybe make an argument for Jones versus Rankins, but Rankins has been great. The, Michael, this one's not close in my eyes. This one is a blowout for the Jets. I know the Broncos have a solid defense. I think the, the close one's going to be the secondary in my eyes. But defensive line, I mean, they, they run two different schemes. They have Randy be, Gregory. Yeah. Oh, c- congratulations. But the Jets have John Franklin Meyer. And then we're not even getting to the depth of Bryce of Bryce Huff or, or Jacob Martin or Michael Clemens or Jermaine would, Johnson. Would the Broncos know who John Franklin Broncos fans know who JFM is? They should. They should the way he's playing this year. He's flying under the radar. But he's, he's... I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, but that, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but. I'm not saying that makes it right or anything. Because that's just casual fans. I'm just saying. Well, they should. They should know who John Franklin Myers is. Uh, Michael, is there anybody in that that Broncos defensive line you'd rather have? By the way, this is the tweet I retweeted about JFM today. So uh, shout out to at John Owning. But he said, uh, John Franklin Myers has flown under the radar despite great results. 50 plus pressures and 16 and a half plus percent pass rush win win rate. Um, Last year, and then 16 pressures and 21.3% pass rush win weight this year. So and then he, he he've had a few other ones, but like JFM has been legitimately very good this year, and he's flown into the radar. All right, so, we can go Jets. Yeah, that one's not close. Come on, linebacker. Jets. Again, the schemes kind of throw it off because maybe you could argue that Browning is a linebacker, but I I, I think the way that Quan, CJ, and, and Quincy are playing right now, I think you have to give it to the Jets. It's hard when you have a team that's winning and a team that's losing to take the team that's losing, but I really do think that the Jets are better. In pretty much every area outside of the only arguable ones in my eyes are quarterback, receiver, and then cornerback, I would say. And who do you go for safety? Here? Sorry, secondary. Safety. Second, I meant secondary. I don't want yeah, quarterback, yeah. receiver, and then secondary. So let's start with the, let's start with the corners. Um and they did have Ronald Darby playing really well, but I'm pretty sure he's on injured reserve now. So that's a hit for them. I mean, Sertan versus Sauce is kind of like a wash, a wash right now. Um, then you have DJ Reed versus they have Darby out. So and Michael Carter the yeah, second, and Michael Carter the second. It just feels so weird to say the Jets for everything, but it is. I know, but it's they true. They just have that talent right now. Safety, safety will give to them because they've they've Simmons, yeah. Cream Jackson's pretty solid, and the Jet safeties are playing better, but. They've been playing. They'll probably, you know, you know, average. I think it's the hope for them. All right. So the Jets. Oh, and then special teams. Let's Jets lump it all together. Top special teams right now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So here's okay. So here's Jets. This is this matchup for the Sunday. Ready? Jets, according to us, completely unbiased Jets podcasters. Unbiased. Jets are better at running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, corner, and special teams. They have a wash at quarterback. Uh, and the Broncos, they have drumroll, please safety. So, should be a pretty close <laughs> game. No, I think it actually will be kind of a good. It's a tough game. I, I think the Jets aren't good enough for a trap game. I think, uh, you know, you know, as much as I, I, 
don't love all the uh, the negativity from Elijah today. I mean, at least I guess the Jets aren't just like strolling into mile high. Not that there was a risk of that, but like the Jets know the task ahead of them. This Broncos team, like you said, and, and Saul has been saying all week, they are kind of close to clicking. They have a lot of talent, despite what we just said. But, you know, I think that the Jets have the advantage on the defensive side of the football. I really love this matchup for this defensive line against Russell, an injured Russell behind a bad offensive line. Um, I think this is going to be a great defensive game for the Jets. I'm very curious to see how Zach looks in this one. I'm a little more optimistic, though. I know that I know the Broncos have a a tough pass defense, but I just think on a short week after that that Chargers game, they're going to be really keying in on Brees. I think Zach might have a nice game in this one. I, I don't know if he's going to throw for like 300 yards and three TDs, but I could see a nice like 250, you know, very uh, efficient one or two touchdown game, and you know maybe a, you know, a Brees Hall touchdown or something like that. I think the Jets are going to have a good game in this one and, and get four straight wins, which is absolutely bananas. Um, and then they enter a very tough part of their schedule against the AFC East opponents. Um, but that's for next week. Um, so, Michael, what is your, what is your I haven't given my score prediction. What's your official score prediction for this one? And then maybe throw out some other, uh, some other random predictions. Last week, and I didn't write it down. All right, never mind. I was going to say what, our, what were our predictions last week. Uh, God, what I don't really? remember mine at all. I, I said <laughs> I was going to write them down too, and I just did. Ah, damn it. All right. I'll write them down this week. If somebody wants to go back and, and don't do it because they're probably wrong. What did I say? I did call a Jets win. So there's that. I'm trying to think of my prediction for the Jets, by the way, was 31 27 Jets win. And you predicted 31 27 Packers. I just inverted your score. So I think that puts me. That means I've, I've predicted. Well, the DJ, the Dolphins game, we, you know, I predicted a loss. And at the end, I predicted a 49 nothing win. So I don't know if you give that to me. But I think the only game that I've been wrong on is the Bengals game. Is that correct? So I think so. I predicted a loss. I've been mostly going losses. So my record's not too good. Kind of feeling win this week. Oh, fuck. I don't no, know no, if no. I should do that. Yeah. Well, wait. Or what should was I the... do the Daniel Jeremiah? Strategy? What was the, yeah. Don't, don't change anything. Yeah, you could. What 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 score do you what score do you predict the Broncos will beat the Jets? Wink, wink. Uh, nineteen seventeen. Really, kind of yeah. gross, gross score. Is Zerline missing? It's a on kick brand. There? Yeah. All right. I guess I'll say. I think the Jets win this one. Thirty to thirteen. Like wow! That? Really. That was a little extreme. Okay. That, was, that was a little extreme. Hold on. Let's <laughs> reel that back in. Um these these don't mean anything. Uh fuck it. I don't know. 24-13. There we go. That was a little more fair. 24-13. I like that a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, Broncos, like you said, short week. Just had a overtime games, a lot of plays, 93 defensive snaps last week. And that just reminds me of last year when the Jets had a hundred defensive plays against the Titans and then came out against the Falcons the next week. And granted it was in London, but they're coming out against the Falcons with no energy. So now that can have an effect. Yeah. You have to play a lot of snaps. I really do hope Elijah plays in this one because I would like to see an, a, a angry Elijah Moore with something to prove on Sunday. I really do. I mean, I, I just think that that will, and then I think that Zach will try to give him the ball then and, I don't know. I, I really do hope Elijah plays Sunday, but we'll see what transpires over the next few days. And uh, I, it, I, I get the under, I get the argument that you can't let him play, but I do think that there's a way for him to talk to his teammates and the, the coaching staff and and square things away. If he's really, I don't. Th- 
do you think he's dead set on on trading and versus you know it's like there's some guys who they request a trade and it's like all right i'm either i want to be traded uh other than that you know fuck this team i don't think it's that like i think it, it was like a a move it was like a power move type of thing it was an emotional decision and he wants the ball and he's just said i don't want to be traded like we don't really know but Seems like there's levels to trade requests, and this does seem like one of those that you could you could play through. But I don't know. What do you think? What, what's your gut reaction? Does he play on Sunday? No. I I don't know. I think I, I really don't know how to react to all. I'm I'm just disappointed. I don't know what's going to happen. All I can say is that it's disappointing. Definitely disappointing. But as I said, it really wouldn't have affected any of the Jets games this year if if Elijah played or not. So. Uh, I'll say I'll say he plays. We'll see. We'll see who's wrong or right about that. You, do you think he's traded next week? Like you said to me in the DMs, quote, "I'm not walking this back. He needs to be traded." Uh, yeah, I think I think I'll go with that. If I had to go with a prediction, you think he's traded next week? All right, I, I I'm gonna like hold you to that. I think I think you know the, a team like the Packers, like a win now team that really needs a receiver, might give the Jets the value that they would want in this kind of trade. The Packers sure. are really interesting, but if his beef was with the floor, I don't know if going to his brother's team is the answer. And I just don't see – I don't see the Jets moving on from Elijah. I don't have the same brain. It's not like they're yeah, they're – mind. No, I <laughs> – yeah, I know that, but there's still like – if you hated a teacher and then it was – You just see bad. his face in my – Well, no, it's more like, all right, you know what? I had all this beef with this one teacher or professor or coach or whatever – all right, time for a clean slate. And then you get his brother. Like, it's not going to feel like too much of a clean slate. Like, it's not his choice. It's not his choice. Yeah, I know. I just, I don't see him being traded. I don't think he's traded. And I do think he plays Sunday. That's my prediction. We'll see what happens. You think he doesn't play and you think he gets traded. Do you want to, you want to put a little wager on that? No. Yeah, he's not confident in that. Yeah, I need, you're, I'm not confident. I'm you're not, walking it back. Should oh, I read the DMs? No. Yeah, okay. All right, I can I think... be modestly confident in prediction. It's okay to not be like that. Oh, this is my modestly opinion. confident. You were not modestly confident in the DMs. All right, whatever. I'm still I'll... saying that's going to happen. That's my prediction. All right, we'll see. I I won't say I won't do it. I think I no I get I get I think most Jets fans will agree with you. I think I'm going to be the one getting roasted in these YouTube comments for for letting more off too easy or whatever but it's that's not really how i feel about it i think he was dumb to do what he did it sucks it's disappointing it's a bad look but i don't think that this is i don't think this will end up being the big deal that everybody's trying to make it out to be i just don't but it could be like i could see him being inactive and i could see him getting traded but i just think that he's too talented and too early in his career for the jets to just give up on him this quickly so that's how i feel all right i think that's uh i think that's good for now michael uh uh, we'll be back recording on Sunday night. We'll probably drop that either Sunday night or, or early Monday morning, uh, breaking down the Jets Broncos game. I mean, uh, I guess we should do some of the plugs. You can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Follow Robbie Sabo at wow, at Robbie Sabo. It's too easy. Yeah. Go to, I didn't know if you had an underscore in there. Uh, go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, what else is out there? I mean, uh, iTunes, please uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe to the Jets uh, X Factor YouTube. I think that's it, Michael. Uh, any last thoughts? Could call us up and order our uh, transcript via Carrier Pigeon. Um, 
go to a library near you if you want to that was that was, a, that, was, that, was a, that was a russell wilson level joke right there that was that was brutal. <laughs> that was oh jesus all right i think we should get out of here but do you have any other last thoughts that i can feel good about closing this podcast on uh we have a morse code version of this podcast oh jesus christ all right, we're done. That. All right we're done thank you everybody for listening <laughs> have a great weekend let's hope the jets ball out we'll see what happens with elijah but at the end of the day, this is a good football team. We can't lose sight of that. The Jets are winning games. Feel good, Jets fans. Have a great weekend. Go Jets.